I did other studies. It took me seven years to amass the, the, the material on the Nazis and the Japanese, especially on the Nazis, before I could sit down and write. That's probably the reason why it's a better novel than most of my novels, that I knew what I was talking about. I knew, I knew there wasn't anything I didn't know. I had prime source material at the Berkeley Cal Library from the Gestapo. You know, they had seized after World War II. It was marked for the eyes of the higher police. The only higher police is a term for toposcopic. I hate those people. Dickheads! Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from Japanese-occupied California to your brain hole! We are your personal dickheads. We have already consulted the I Ching, and it's told us to record this episode. So we are underway. I am David Agardoff, author of Punk Rock Ghost Story, The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, and Flush Trade. And I'm Anthony Trevino, author of King Space Void, Fruition, and a bunch of articles you'll probably never read but should. And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. <laughs> He's the Scotty to our enterprise. That's right. And without him, we'd be not a podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, so thank you again, Larry, for all your engineering duties. Um, so let's get right into it today. We've got uh, two pieces of, of really good PKD news today. What's going on in the world of PKD, David? Well, he's still dead. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Wait, what? Yeah. Well, they came pretty close with that robot. That oh, PKD. that PKD bot? Yeah. yeah. That thing was pretty sick. Oh, it wasn't creepy at all. <laughs> not creepy at all. And I'm sure he would not have been creeped out by that <laughs> in the slightest. But, uh, yeah, so Variety is reporting that Alcon uh, Television Group has partnered with Adult Swim and Crunchyroll to produce and distribute a new anime series inspired by Blade Runner 2049. The show is going to be called Blade Runner Black Lotus. It'll have 13 half-hour episodes, and the details of the plot are just kind of shady. We don't really know too much, but uh, the creator of the show basically just said Blade Runner was like his favorite shit ever, and so he wanted to do an anime. Do we Do we know who is that? Uh, shit. I don't Does have. Does it say? I um. Let me pull up the article. Well, that'll take us four hundred years. If you want to know, <laughs> go look it up. Right. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get a name, but uh, you know, th- I think this is good news. I think the animated shorts that um that they released that preceded the movie that preceded the movie were both really, really, really good. Um, yeah, some were better than others, but yeah. Let's see. Jason DiMarco, who is hmm. creative director of Adult Swim's on-air um, programming, is going to be producing it. So He's producing it, but not... Yeah, but it looks like they're going to have multiple directors and um, different Interesting. Creators. At what point do we stop playing in the Blade Runner sandbox and move on to other things Dick has done to kind of work around? And what, if there, what other universes do you want to see people kind of tell stories in? Well, I'd like to see a ton of them, but I yeah, do. Right. I do think well, we always only go back to Blade Runner. Well, that's well, the one we know most. Yeah, that's probably the most famous of his works. I mean, if you if you 
if somebody's like, who's Philip K. Dick? I mean, don't you automatically say he wrote Blade Runner? Yeah, because no one's going to know if, if I say what the world Jones made. They're just going to look at me and go, huh? <laughs> well, I do think all, all I'm saying is that... I do think you can do yeah. High Castle now. World Jones <laughs> <laughs> Have you read The Cosmic Puppets, sir? <laughs> right. All it I'm saying is that... with boob mountains. <laughs> well... I'm just saying we don't always have to draw from the Blade Runner sandbox. I, I'm I'm okay with it. I think all the more... Blade I'm not saying I'm not okay with it. I'm saying there's probably interesting stuff we could also be exploring. Yeah, sure. I, don't, I don't think we've found it yet in our reading so far. Uh, Solar Lottery would be sick. I would... You think there's a lot of stories to tell there? A lot of stories? Eh, I guess you'd run. Maybe did more adaptations of Solar Lottery. Right. A Solar Lottery anime would be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it did have a subplot that went nowhere, so that was... Oh, so you mean... The World Jones made of the Cosmic Puppets. <laughs> well, listen, um, here's the thing. No, those just had a plot that went nowhere. <laughs> we have, we have like 400 Star Wars books, as many Star Trek novels. I think a couple, um, expansions into the Blade Runner universe are certainly welcome. Yeah, David, I'm not saying it's bad. Stop acting so PC all the time. <laughs> the, about uh, it. Oh. I, what about, what about dragging other, other PKD stuff into the Blade Runner universe? What about that? That would be cool. So a little Blade oh, Runner all expanding, yeah, yeah, crossover. Yeah, that expanding. would be cool. I'd be into that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be cool for, with it. I think we're gonna have to wait and see. You know, the comic book's still in development. Um, yeah, the video games. The uh, yeah, so we're getting a lot of this, this stuff, and I think um, we should just be glad that we're getting more PKD content of of one form or another. Yes, David. I'm sorry for having an opinion. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What? You're sensitive today. I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I would like to see more Blade Runner stories, but maybe we could explore some more alternate realities, y'all. Okay. So, the uh, can I move on to the next piece of news? Yeah, Dad, it's fine, I guess. Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so this is really great and important uh, dickhead news. The PKD Film Fest, which is normally held in New York City... For 2019, the year that Blade Runner took place, we'll be moving to the Los Angeles area. Specifically, Santa Ana in Orange County, which is where uh, PKD lived the last four years of his life. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What makes this this better is that we, in the last episode, were complaining that we would never have anything like that down here in this area. (laughs) And we were wrong. And we're very happy to be wrong. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... I mean, Santa Ana's not San Diego local, but okay. It's but it's close. close. Yeah, it's we closer. Can, we can drive there, and we will. And um, so some things that are going on um, that... Uh, I'll take the coaster up there. And hell yeah. Fucking ripped. Day day trip on the coaster, Larry? Oh yeah. We can We're get in. trashed. David can be annoyed at us the whole time. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> All right, so some things that are going on with the Film Fest that have already started is that they've made a call for filmmakers to make PKD-inspired short films to compete at the Film Fest. I'm really looking forward to this. So filmmakers out there, start making your PKD movie that you've always wanted to make. I think mm-hmm. the deadline for entries is after our episode will air, but <laughs> at the same time, um, it's something to look Start forward. making them now yeah. and then finish them by the time we air this episode. Um, Wait, what I, is the date? It is March 15th. No, the, uh, for the, the deadline. The deadline is December 24th. Um, coming oh, up. yeah. We'll definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we will not have aired. But the actual film fest is going to be March 15th through the 18th. So it's right before uh, David's birthday. 
Uh, now, are we just finding out about this late, or is this like a new thing that came up? This, this is a new thing that came out recently, yeah. Wow. Um, and so the Film Fest is coming in March, and uh, we intend to be there. Um, I have contacted the organizer of this year's festival, and uh, we're hoping to have the dickheads be involved. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll be there in some we'll be fashion there. or another. I mean, yeah, we'll, even if we'll we're not involved in the festival directly, we'll be there. Yeah, yeah we're going to be there. So it's a chance. Come and meet your favorite dickhead. Yeah, it's a chance to hang out with your So come and meet dickhead. Anthony, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, just look for the asshole in a Hawaiian shirt at the bar. That'll right. be me. Right. That will be you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty good way to find you. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, sorry, I just had to get rid of the sweatshirt. It got really hot in here all of a sudden. David, um, this is a podcast, not strip poker. <laughs> all right. It's a strip podcast. <laughs> so, so, on to dick-like suggestions. Larry, would you like to kick off our dick-like suggestions? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I'm going to do another video game. Awesome. I hope people like video games, because I'm going to do mostly video games. I think that's great, because I would never... <laughs> So this game came out two, I think, two years ago, and was a big hit at the time. And it is called Oxenfree. And Oxenfree is about a bunch of teenagers who go to a party on an island, and weird shit starts to happen. They wake up these what they think are aliens, but they could be trans-dimensional beings. There's all kinds of craziness. The end is uh, is very shocking and uh, and mind fucky. The whole game is mind fucky. I'm going to read their little blurb about it here. Oxenfree is a supernatural thriller about a group of friends who unwittingly open a ghostly rift. You are Alex, and you've just brought your new stepbrother Jonas to an overnight island party gone horribly wrong. So that's what they they say about it, but they. What they did beyond this, it being the modern era, what they did beyond this is they introduced things in the real world. Like they, they gave you a phone number to call. They gave you clues about what the game was really about and where it took place. Hmm. So you could call this, this number and I don't know if it's still active, but they, they would have different messages. So you'd call it and it would give you a coordinate and you would look that up and you would be like, Oh, this is somewhere in Seattle. Or by Seattle, maybe it's one of those islands, uh, that kind of weird sort of um, sort of stuff that they've they've started doing that I thoroughly enjoy. I can't I can't remember what they call it, the interactive interactive games, which they do online and around online stuff. But uh, they do some of that. But the game itself is a lot of fun. You get to make a lot of choices, and the choices do matter. And weird shit happens with all your choices. That's about it. A game of choices. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very story-driven, and it's very PKD. Yeah, cool. That does sound pretty cool. I'm not a video game person, but that actually sounds really interesting. Anthony, do you have a dick-like suggestion? I think you know the answer to that. The answer is no. Aw, oh, man. Man, seriously? I, I, no, I, I watched the house that Jack built the other night. What is that? Uh, it's the new Lars von Trier movie. Um, oh, I've heard that's like it, super transgressive and like even John Skip said he had a hard time with it. Uh, really? That's a horror author. Topic for a different 
podcast. Um, I don't know if I've recommended this on the podcast before, but because I am behind and working on the the writings with David and reading for this podcast and some other things, I don't really have a dick-like suggestion, but I, if I would like to just take a moment and say that everyone should read Transmetropolitan, the graphic novel by Warren Ellis, which is very PKD and one of my favorite series of comics of all time. I, I don't know that you've mentioned that. Ever. I don't think you have, and I, and it is definitely one that I meant to read, and I haven't, so um, I'll get on Or that. any and all of Warren Ellis's work is pretty much fucking amazing. Yeah, as read, soon as I've you read finished The Final Blackout. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we'll start the new year with The Final Blackout. And then, uh, yeah, then I'll read that. So it's okay, though. Because I got you, bud. Thanks. I got two dick-like suggestions. No, I, I just, I, instead of recommending a thing, I recommended a person. <laughs> yeah, right. you got it. That's That works. Yeah. Yeah, that works. <laughs> it's going on the list. Okay, so um, for my, I have two dick-like suggestions. One is um, Man in the High Castle themed, um, which is, there's a classic novel of literature by that I read this year. Literature. Literature. Literature called It Can't Happen Here. It's a classic by Sinclair Lewis. And it was mm. written in 1936-ish. And it was basically like a warning novel about fascism in America. Mm-hmm. And it was, well, um, you know, it was before World War II even happened about how fascism could happen in America. And, and we'll get into this later, but I actually think that in order for some of the things to happen in Man in the High Castle, you'd almost have to have the events of it can't happen here happen first in that timeline in order for it to happen. So in a lot of ways, when I was reading it, this book was, when it was written in 1935, it can't happen here was was speculative fiction, right? Yeah. It was looking forward to a possible presidential campaign and i you'll hear a lot of people comparing it to to trump now so right around the time the trump got elected there was a big uptick in sales and yeah it, was. it, it can't happen here got reprinted yeah and he he really this was a warning novel as much as like alas babylon was a warning novel about nuclear war mm-hmm. but what's interesting about reading it can't happen here now in 2018 as i did is that even though it was a speculative novel at the time, reading it now, it becomes an alternate history novel. So it becomes a completely different experience reading it in 2018. So, and I did read it this year again for, well, for the first time. I hadn't read it before. And, um, yeah, and so I had a really good experience reading that. Now, another one that I want to, um, recommend is a book that I believe either won or was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award, which is basically the Oscar for horror writers. And it's a novel called Ubo by Steve Resnick Tem, who's a like well-known horror writer. How do you spell Ubo? It's U-B-O. Okay. Ubo. And this book, even though it was nominated and or won the Bram Stoker Award, it it really is more, it, it, I think it fit more with the PKD award. Cause this book includes, it, it takes place on this, it's a very weird, surreal horror novel with these prisoners that are trapped on a spaceship and the, the guards are these giant rat creatures. But the prisoners end up mind swapping with different historical figures and being sent back in time to these 
extremely violent periods in human history. Now, why? Hmm. That's something that you want to read the book for. I don't want to give it away. But this book is so PKD. It's like, it's incredible that it didn't get more attention for the PKD award. Not to say that Bannerless, the novel by Carrie Vaughn that won this year, wasn't um, deserving of the PKD award because it was. In fact, I would, Bannerless is probably going to be my read of the year this year. Hmm. But, um, when I do my top 10 list, but, Ubo is definitely going to be in my top 10 as well, and it's a really great book. So I highly suggest Ubo, U-B-O, by Steve Resnick-Tem as my primary dick-like suggestion this month. Excellent. So let's get on to Man in the High Castle. Yeah, let's. Or as I like to call it, Dick Discovers Character Arcs. <laughs> now, this book came out in 1962. Okay. David, what was happening in 1962? Well, Jesus Christ, that's a finally mentioned 1962. <laughs> I was only trying to kill you for like the last. What do you can't, you can't just turn a phone at me and expect me to be like, oh, that's my cue. <laughs> okay. Anyways, what was happening in 1952? Or 1962. 62. Okay, uh, this was the same year as the Cuban Missile Crisis. Which is really crazy if you think about, like, because that's, you know, the same year that this book came out, like, we all almost ceased to exist. Um, But it's also the same year that John Glenn orbited the Earth for the first time. And so (laughs) it just kind of gives you context of how long ago we're talking. And uh, it's the first year that Spider-Man appeared in, um, I believe it was, was it Action Comics or... I don't know. Anyways, Spider-Man first appeared in 1960. Action Comics is Superman. You're right. And then it was also the year that the Beatles released Love Me Do. So Terrible song. Yeah. From a terrible band. Ooh, hot takes. Yes. Yeah. I came Fight in. Us. I came in with it. You thought I was going to get out of this episode with at least one hot take? <laughs> he came in like a wrecking ball. That's right, I did. Like that Miley Cyrus song. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stand the Beatles. Continue, David. What else was going on in 1962? <laughs> well, that's all I got for 1962. But um, well, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis is very is very tied into this book too, because the yeah. the alternative we're given in the book is communism. I mean, that's that's the only alternative right. we're really given. And there is a to, par- to fascist rule is communism, right? And um, I think that. It speaks to, you know, just, um, cause I think people think of the Cuban Missile Crisis as something that was so, like, like long ago and, like, quaint because everybody sees everything in black and white and mm-hmm. all the, the footage of it. And so I, I, I definitely think, keep in mind that, you know. That we were 14 minutes away from total destruction, basically. <laughs> right. And here's, uh, which is really something to say about, like, just, um, how unreal history is, you know, just like, just to get your brain hole around that. Right. And, uh, you know, although it was written in 1961, and so we can now get into the writing and publication history of Man in the High Castle. Sweet. So the writing date was in the fall of 1961. He wrote it in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wrote it pretty quickly, it seems like. But um, he wrote it after Humpty Dumpty in Oakland and before uh, We Can Build You. So I think Humpty Dumpty in Oakland was his last attempt at writing a 
commercial novel. Before or, he finally just decided to embrace being a sci-fi author? Did he ever embrace being a sci-fi author? Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, he figured that out at this point? Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, the 60s was like... Just all straight science all, fiction. It was a ton of science fiction. I think... Really, this is the turning point. Yeah, yeah, you have to guess if he's winning awards and this book was so huge. Yeah, he, he would, he would finally go, there. all right, fine, I can do this for a living. I guess. Yeah, and here's the thing. I know a lot of people, and we're going to, we've been talking about this, Larry and I, for like the last couple of weeks. The cool, people, thanks for queuing me in on that. Uh, well, we've been talking about the fact that there's a lot of people who don't even consider Man in the High Castle to be sci-fi. That's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Um it's it's the science fiction is subtle, but there's sci-fi in here. What yeah, about definitely. Nazis conquering Mars is subtle? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. I stand corrected. <laughs> exactly. I think people forget they read the whole book and then they forget that there's Nazis on Mars. Right. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> 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 so after Humpty Dumpty in Oakland, he, he wrote Man in the High Castle. Now, there was, this was an interesting time in the history of, uh, PKD. He was definitely feeling like he was failing as a commercial writer. He had moved most of his stuff into a place he called the Hovel, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a little, like, kind of, um, hut. Garage. Yeah. For $25 a month. It was a like month. a shed, wasn't it? Or yeah. Some- it was just off from where his wife uh, at the time, Anne, was living. And um, she had started a jewelry business. And he was helping out with the jewelry business a lot, like having to make trinkets. Which is reflected in the book. Right. Yeah. 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 And, the, uh, and, and let's talk about Anne a little bit because she's no joke. That is a – she was a strong woman. Yeah. And, and she wasn't going to take his shit. <laughs> right. And she ended up writing a science fiction book herself, I mm-hmm. believe, at some point. And, you know, and I think, well, it's funny, too, because, like, he tells lots of, and this is where you get into the unreliability of, <laughs> of Philip yeah. Dick's statements. Yeah. So he basically, he, so she started this jewelry business, and Anne's memory was that, that, uh, Philly, Philly K, um, <laughs> Phil, uh, really liked working on the jewelry business and like started to take some proprietary like ownership over like where things were going. And we definitely get a hint or a glean of like what he was learning about the jewelry business mm-hmm. right. from the aspects of this book. But, um, you know, he, he, he certainly, made, he certainly has some good layman, uh, language about the tools and, and how they function yeah. and stuff like a, that. A novice understanding of, of the trade. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Now, she says that he liked it, but letters written by Philip K. Dick say otherwise. Anthony? I decided that I'd better tell her I was working on a book so I wouldn't have to polish her jewelry all day long. We had a little cabin, and I went over there with a $65 portable typewriter made in Hong Kong. The E key was stuck on it. I started with nothing but the name Mr. Tagami written on a scrap of paper. No other notes. I'd been reading a lot of Oriental philosophy, reading a lot of Zen Buddhism, reading the I Ching. That was the Marin County zeitgeist at that point, Zen Buddhism and the I Ching. I just started right out and kept on trucking. It was either that or go back to polishing jewelry. I feel like PKD might not have enjoyed polishing jewelry as much as... It's Marin. Marin County. What did I say? Marin? Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's San Rafael, if we ever have to pronounce that. It's San Rafael, not San Rafael. Now, Got it. Now, we have some other quotes here about the writing of it. And the funny thing is, is this is where you get into the you can't really trust because – and sometimes you're getting letters that he wrote to one person and you're getting quotes from a letter that he wrote to another person. And sometimes they definitely contradict in themselves because – it, from this last quote that we heard, you get the idea that he just like he just had the name of the Japanese guy and he sat down and he just started writing it, mm-hmm. right? But we've definitely heard in interviews, and I believe we have a quote that's probably opening your episode here, where he talks about researching the novel for seven years. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he definitely that could be uh, him just saying uh, the things that he was actively reading at the time counted as research and all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's all it's all in in how he interpreted the experiences. Yeah. So, we have another quote here about the writing of it, Anthony. I actually had to start typing, and I had no notes. I had nothing in mind except for years I'd wanted to write that idea about Germany and Japan actually having beaten the United States. And without any notes, I simply sat down and began to write, simply to get out of the jewelry business. So, I guess he was thinking about the concept. <laughs> I think he was just tired of fucking polishing rocks. Right. He's just like, I cannot work on this jewelry anymore. Yeah. Let's write this novel. I would imagine that he, he was pretty restless doing this kind of monotonous job that was keeping him away from the typewriter. For eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Because we know he has, like, so many ideas swimming around in his head. It was probably, you know, very hard to just sit there and polish jewelry yeah. all day. But see, the thing was, he had that, he already had that shed, or what is it, whatever he calls it, cabin. The hovel. Yeah, the hovel. But he wasn't doing anything in there for a long time, so. Yeah. And um, how about the E button being <laughs> right, right. stuck out there? That's full on. That's full on drama queen stuff right there. Well, I did every a couple times when I saw words with the letter E starting it. it I actually kind of noticed it for <laughs> some weird reason. But um, but yeah. So uh, and you know this concept of of um, you know where, where he sits down and he's been thinking about this concept of the alternate history and. The idea of the alternate history novel, I know he said that one of the inspirations for him was there was an ace double novel um, that was called like, uh, some, it was something about the Jubilee something, and it was like a, a some kind of Civil War um, alternate history novel hmm. where, uh, and I'll have to look that up, but this was, was one of his inspirations as he'd read this novel about the Civil War being one and and that's definitely something that that's an alternative history novel we've seen done again and again too like harry turtledove did the guns of the south for example that had the time traveling white power guys that took uh, machine guns back to the south and um i'm sorry what <laughs> oh well, never... isn't that basically what what dick was doing with the uh with a uh future white guy Oh, yeah, Dr. Futurity. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of similar. Well, so in um, Harry Turtledove has an alternate history novel called Guns of the South. Got it. And uh, time-traveling white power guy takes AK-47s back to, to... And there's a really hilarious cover that has, like, General Lee holding an AK. I, I kind of like, like the idea of a of a comedic novel about a time-traveling group of bumbling idiot yeah. rednecks. Right. That'd be pretty fun. 
Um, I read Guns of the South, um, but I think does not surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I didn't like it as much. Actually, so does surprise me. I don't know why you would read that. <laughs> I like uh, Harry Turtledove um, alternate history novels for the most part. I'm a history guy, so I like history. Um, but the idea of alternate history novels, like for example, this, in, well, Sinclair Lewis was writing speculative at the time, but there was the there was novels about the concept of Nazi Germany winning the war that happened before uh, Man in the High Castle. I think Fritz Lieber had uh, stuff, the big time, the big time, yeah, nineteen fifty seven, I believe. Yep. And then I know there was a short story by Isaac Asimov that um, Living Space. Yeah, and um, and there was a very famous um, novel about Nazi Germany winning uh, a world war called Swastika Night um, in 1937. By Catherine Burdekin. Right. And um, I sound well, so smart. You sound so smart. It's like you have the list right on <laughs> you guys, the screen in front of you. Why do you have to call it out? Everyone would have just thought he was smart. Yeah, but I don't want people thinking that. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. So Swastika Night um, is really important because it foretold a, a Nazi victory in 1937. It's like a really bad disco. Type. Swastika Night sounds like a grungy Swastika 80s Night. like horror movie. Well, it is a it is a classic um, and it is a very important book. I I have it on my library holds list. I do intend to read it. But... Yeah, I wonder what the library thinks about that. <laughs> well, no, it's a it's a classic. It's it's just like reading. Um, Something different from Reading Man in the High Castle, I would say. But no, Except I mean, it has swastika in the title. Well, it's swastika a, night. Well, it's not like a pro-Nazi book. It's David. A, we're just we we know the library doesn't You're fucking with me. <laughs> the They're library, judge you. yeah, the library's like oh, with me. another fucking white supremacist coming in here for swastika night. But if you look, um, we've got we pulled up lousy a list. swastika night people. <laughs> So we pulled up a list of alternate. If you go to Wikipedia and look up alternate uh, history novels, under it's actually hypothetical Axis victory in World War Two, and how many novels are listed there? There's this guy, well, like, I don't have a number, but it looks like about twenty. Yeah, and maybe twenty five. You know, there's some really famous ones like um, Philip Roth's Conspiracy Against America, which Larry has had in his bathroom for two years now. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually he'll finish it, so maybe he can do a bonus episode. I'm 220 pages in. But. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the more, like, the plot against... It's the plot against America. It's not yeah. conspiracy. Yeah. Um, and that Philip Roth novel is probably one of the most respected of the modern... Uh, alternate history novels. It's pretty devastating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and much like what I was talking about, it can't happen. Well, and these are specifically World War II, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. These are specifically alternate histories about World War II. And, and the thing about the, the Philip Roth one and the Sinclair Lewis one that we were talking about during the Dick Like suggestions is that one of the things that makes, uh, Man in the High Castle a little bit historically implausible is that it would be pretty fucking difficult for Nazi Germany to actually um, invade and take huge swaths of the eastern part of the United States. Right. Um, beyond the fact that they would still have to contend with fighting Russia and um, taking Africa would be really hard. I mean, just logistically... Logistically, this is not an accurate book in any way. Right. 
But one of the things about um, the plot against America and it can't happen here is it kind of suggests like an internal fascism. It doesn't suggest it. It straight out, <laughs> right? It straight out tells it, right? And so that internal fascism is is something that is kind of a weakness in the plotting of Man in the High Castle. Is, is that if there was a little bit more of the Nazi infiltration of American culture, I think that would have made this book a little better. A little but, more, well, a little more realistic. I don't, I don't know if it's better. But. Yeah. And certainly the TV show kind of addresses that mm-hmm. a little bit more than, than, than the book. But, uh, we're not talking about the TV show in this episode. You'll have to wait for that. <laughs> um, but anyways, so, uh, getting past, getting back to the, the writing history, um, I do think that, um, for, for whatever, uh, you know, pluses and minuses that Man in the High Castle has, it's clear that PKD did a lot of research. And he obviously knew a lot of what he was talking about with the Nazis. And you specifically see that he knew a lot about individual Nazis that were a part of the regime. Bormann, Heydrich, Grubels. Like, he knew a lot about these historical figures. These are real people who were really a part of what was going on. We're not going to get a, a lot into that tonight, but when we do our interview with Dr. Rosenfeld, um, which will be appearing later, we'll, we'll get more into like who these actual historical figures are and more details about them and what PKD got right and what he didn't get right. Right. But let's talk about the research. We have a quote that he has about the research. Um so he said, I had a prime source material at the Berkeley Cal Library right from the Gestapo's mouth, stuff that had been seized after World War II, stuff that was marked for the eyes of, quote, the higher police only. I had to read what those guys wrote in their private journals in order to write Man in the High Castle. Now, he also said later on that one of the reasons why he never wrote a sequel to Man in the High Castle was that he didn't like being in the heads of the Nazis. That makes sense. Like, he just didn't like it. So so we also have this quote about... That's uh, probably why it's so sparse in the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, he also he also had an affection for Japanese culture. So I think yeah. he was more... Well, like he, like he said about Marin County, that was all of San Francisco at that time. Because the beatniks were huge, and the beatniks were deeply into Buddhism, Eastern philosophy in general, and the whole the, that whole scene up and down the West Coast was really influenced by Eastern culture at that time. Now, for the world building, Al- alternate culture, not not the straight laced culture. Now, Are you referring to counter culture? Counter culture. Now. When we were talking earlier about how unrealistic it is that Nazi Germany could have taken over, it's not that PKD did not think about those things. And he was definitely trying to come up with ways that he thought were plausible. In fact, we have this quote here um, where he's talking about the world building and how he tried to think about the decisions and things that the Nazis would have to do to take over the world. I had to structure out the decisions that the Nazis would have had to make, the changes in history that would have permitted them to win that war. It would have been a very long list of things that would have had to happen, and they're not all in Man in the High Castle. Just for example, Spain would have had to grant them the right to to go through, you know, from France to take Gibraltar and close off the Mediterranean. That war was not really as close a call as we thought it was. I mean, 
it is just not that easy to defeat Russia, as certain people in history have found out. I hope we're not about to find out that. Uh, I hope we're not about to find that out ourselves. So nice, and, right? A little Cold War paranoia in there. I like that a little, a little. And he's definitely thinking about people like Napoleon, who yeah. was like, "I'm going to take Russia." Basically, did the exact same thing that the Nazis did. So. Yeah, yeah, and with the same result, right? And so, but. I think some of the other things that we're seeing, so he definitely was thinking about the world building and the, the things that he was trying to think of all that. And there were things that were in the novel that weren't in the novel, but, and I definitely think that that's the th- one of the things that historians are picking apart. But one of the things that we do have to admit when we look at it, it's almost missing the point. If you start to try and nitpick and say, well, there's no way the Nazis could have done this or could have done that. Yes, they, yeah, that's not really the point it's of the book. It's not the point of the book. And that's one of the things that the, you know, this was my third time reading Man in the High Castle. And we'll, we can get a little bit later into our experiences with reading it. But, um, this was my third time reading it. And the first two times I did think about that a lot. And then I realized I was totally missing the point. But we'll get into that later about what was actually the point of Man in the High Castle. Because it's not exactly... When Harry Turtledove writes an alternative history novel, right? And for those of you who don't know, Harry Turtledove is an actual history professor who writes these very intensely researched science fiction novels, alternative history novels, where the history is about as accurate as you can get. PKD is not doing that at all. <laughs> I don't think he was setting out to write an alternate. Well, PKD is an enthusiast. Right. You know, he, he, he likes to he write about the things he, he likes. Right. Not, and, and not he, necessarily the, the things he knows the most about. And I don't think that if you had asked him, are you writing an alternate history? I don't think he would classify this book as an alternate history. He would classify this as a twist on reality and but i think that that i think he'd he'd refer to it as bread and butter sci-fi <laughs> yeah right <laughs> bread and butter sci-fi right well and he came at it in a different way than he had um you know before because he definitely in the past if you look at books like dr futurity and vulcan's hammer he was writing based on notes given to him from don wolheim Mm-hmm. And in the past, outside of Time Out of Joint, which was his only book published outside of Ace at this point was Time Out of Joint. Right. And so for the most part, the only times he, he was publishing books that were written specifically for editors, like he's writing to make Don Wolheim happy so yeah. he can sell Don Wolheim a book. His first and most important audience is Don Wolheim. Perhaps Barry Maltzberg at the Scott Meredith Literary Agency. Right. But he's basically writing for these people. And up until this point, and, you know, what makes Man in the High Castle different is if we take him at his word, he wasn't sitting down to write a book for Don Wilhelm. He was just trying to not fucking polish jewelry. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he wasn't writing for editors. So we have this quote that he has from a letter about not writing for editors. Mostly, I wrote for the editor. (laughs) To me, it wasn't the reader who bought it, it was the editor who bought it. It was as simple as that. The big change came when I wrote The Man in the High Castle, because the book was not written for Donald Wolheim. I had sold Time Out of Joint and had gotten the idea of selling a hardcover novel. 
with Man in the High Castle, I had no concept of an audience at all. I had no concept even of an editor. It was a pure relationship between me and the characters in the novel, and it stayed pretty much that way. Yeah. Interesting. See, that is interesting because this book is very character-driven and much less plot-heavy. Yeah. Right? There's almost no plot. There's almost no plot. But it is a lot more like the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, which you're so hyper-focused on the characters and reading it that you aren't really paying attention to kind of the, the, the little plot that is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go on, yeah. David. Well, and, and I, so I think that we're seeing this is the first... Un- okay, so he's writing all these mainstream novels that are the ones that he's not writing for an editor. He's writing those just to, you know... I mean, I'm sure some of them he was like trying to make them somewhat commercial. But I really like the fact that this one, he he just wasn't giving a shit. He was just, he was writing what he wanted to write. And I think uh, definitely Time Out of Joint gave him um, the confidence to do this. And I think yeah. without Time Out of Joint, we wouldn't have Man in the High Castle. But also you see a lot of the faults in this book because of that too. Uh, sure, sure. And I think one of the things that's going to be interesting when you're rating a book like Man in the High Castle and I'm obviously getting ahead of myself, but one of the things about Man in the High Castle is, is that because of the specific point that he's trying to make with the theme of this book, he can get away with some of those inconsistencies because they become part of the um, the theme, right? Right. And you know, we'll get in, we'll get into that a, a little bit later. But um, we have another. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> Yeah, definitely one worth worth talking about. And we're spending a lot of time talking about the writing of this book because I think this is a major leap forward. Well, yeah, this book is entirely different from the rest of the books we've read so far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to even recognize that this is the same author. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> compared to... Even though the, 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 we did colonize Mars. Nazis colonized Mars. Yeah. <laughs> So they still went to Mars. <laughs> there were still colonies. Yeah. There was still some kind of silly sci-fi stuff. But um I think the writing of this book is just so assured compared to, to It's everything. more confident. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And you know, I think he I think with this one he just really um was writing for the pure act of writing and so we have this I Yeah, have, it's like you said, David, it's much more free. Yeah. In, in the way he he wrote it and what he said, you know, not well, writing for anyone got him to free up his writing, and this is what that became. And and, and I'm sorry, this is Brilliant. a long this is a long quote, but I got one more quote about the writing. Uh, well, no, we got a few more. There's <laughs> about eight more. Yeah, what matters to me is the writing, the act of manufacturing the novel, because while I'm doing it at that particular moment, I am in the world I am writing about. It is real to me, completely and utterly. And then when I'm finished and have to stop, withdraw from that world forever, that destroys me. The men and women have ceased talking. They no longer move. I am alone, without much money. And as I've said before, nearly 40, (laughs) where is Mr. Tagomi, the protagonist and man in the high castle? He has left me. We are cut off from each other. To read the novel does not restore Mr. Tagomi. Place him once again... Uh, or, or place him near me once again, where I can hear him talk. Once written, the novel speaks generally to everyone, but not specifically to me. When a novel of mine comes out, I have no more relationship with it 
than anyone who reads it. Yeah, that, that, I think that goes for most writers. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. For me, I still feel a relationship to my novels, like, afterwards. I think I, I, um, I still think about them a, a little bit, but I don't know. How do you feel, Anthony, when you're... I forget about most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of authors do, though. You, I, I think I spend you, so You much... know, you see those interviews with, with authors that have written a lot of books, and we've done those interviews with authors that have written a lot of books, and they hardly have a memory of what they've written. I, I think I spend, in the moment, I'm really invested in the characters and what's happening to them, and but I don't think I've ever moved on from a project and thought man, I really want to go back to those characters. Because usually if I'm having that feeling, it means I left something unfinished in the original material, if that makes sense. Right, and then you end up being Robert Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take number two. (laughs) Woo! All right, so let's try to get out of the publishing history, and there is some important stuff still to be had. Um, Because this book was not published by Ace. (laughs) What? Uh, What? This was a hardcover mainstream release from Putnam, and it was bought by an editor named Pete Israel. So we have a quote about that. I called Pete Israel my editor at Putnam's after talking to you, and he assured me that they could have it both ways. Market their printing of Man in the High Castle in a mainstream-type way as well as a way that would appeal to the SF reader, especially in terms of my name. Pete said, of course, I guess you're not as well-known as Heinlein, are you? In a rather hopeful tone, as if he were wondering if maybe I was as well known, and how nice that would be, like Pooh wondering if there was another jar of honey, or had he eaten the last, etc. Pete, I said, I may not be as well known as Heinlein, but Tony Boucher? Boucher. Boucher says... Shout out to Tony, we have a lot of shout outs to Tony. But Tony Boucher says... And here I admit I attributed to you certain favorable statements as to me and my work, which I could tell did not fall on deaf ears. As they are now just copy-editing the manuscript, this is my last time to make any pitch to them. So forgive me if I used you as a totem god mask of power and magic by which to make my <laughs> effective my wish. That's what I'm going to say to people from now right. on. <laughs> yeah. um, and so their way of of marketing it both ways... Uh, Putnam released The Man in High Castle as both mainstream and science fiction, and they had a, qu- a subtitle, a quote on the cover that said, an electrifying novel of our world as it might have been. Hmm. Um, and so it doesn't ever, it doesn't say anything about science fiction on the cover, much like Time Out of Joint. Um, but the success of uh, man, the High Castle really came when the science fiction book club edition, uh, when they put out, the science fiction book club put out an edition, uh, a second reprinting. And it looks almost identical to the Putnam edition. Um, but Doubleday had to actually do the printing for the science fiction book club because Doubleday ran the book club. So it was like kind of a joint publishing deal between two major publishers. So that's a big deal. Okay. And so, when that came out, um, that's where a lot of the buzz for the Hugo Award started happening. And um, so we also have quotes about the reaction when the book came out right away. And I love this quote from uh, PKD. It says, Tony Boucher called it a failure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Not no, a shout out to Tony from PKD. <laughs> yeah. Tony Boucher called it a failure. I heard him review it on the radio, and he said it was not a science fiction novel. 
it was actually a mainstream novel. And once you got past the alternate world premise, because, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just, you know, because all the mainstream novels have alternate worlds, right? And then PKD went on to say, later he came up to me and said, now that he felt that it was a breakthrough novel, <laughs> oops, <laughs> and Don Juan, uh, Don, Donald Wolheim said, quote, it is sick, dated, and not science fiction. <laughs> uh, jealous much, Don Wolheim, I think. Right. But uh, most of the criticism was very positive. So, and the direct... Wow. Yeah, and we have the direct quote from Don Wolheim. Whoa. Now, wait, is this the end of their relationship? I no, mean, is no, there, no, 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 no. They, they have, they have future projects together, Don yeah. Wolheim. And, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they did definitely have future projects together. Yeah, like oh. he continued to publish with Ace. But you know what's interesting? Cause we just, I just looked, I just got out of Don Wolheim's book about yeah. the history of science fiction and it was written in the early 70s. And literally, PKD is not mentioned once. Yeah, you already said that. Yeah. On the last episode. Sorry to repeat myself. In <laughs> case people didn't listen to that episode. But Don Wolheim did eventually publish it again. But what did Don Wolheim say exactly about Man in the High Castle, Anthony? However, personally, I am numbered among those who found Man in the High Castle irritating, outmoded, and sick. Whatever it merits as literature, it was a totally wrong choice for Hugo. It is questionable by what definition or standard it could be called science fiction. Dick has written some great science fiction stories, but this wasn't among them. Damn! Damn. That takes... Woo! Now, it was believed that, um, so that, yeah, so PKD kind of responded by saying, now, most readers do not know how little science fiction writers were paid. I had been earning about 6000 a year, and in the year following the Hugo Award, I earned 12000 and close to that in subsequent years, 1965 through 68. And I wrote at a fantastic speed. I produced 12 novels in two years, which must be some sort of record. I could never do this again. The physical stress was enormous. But the Hugo was there to tell me that what I wanted to write um, was what a good number of readers wanted to read, as it seems. So he was, like, kind of responding to that. And there was belief out there that Don Wolheim was... Uh, worried that he was going to lose uh, PKD, that he had outgrown him by winning the Hugo. So a lot of those right. bitter statements from Don Wilhelm were... He was still a businessman. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the uh, um, only hot takes <laughs> that uh, Man in the High Castle got. Um, so at one point, PKD wrote a letter... <laughs> To the Japanese translator. This is my favorite. Oh, no. I can only imagine. So what did the Japanese translator write him back? Your book wasn't any good to start with. (laughs) You've also confused Chinese culture and Japanese culture. The Chinese are inferior uh, inferior people in the I Ching's Chinese and not Japanese. No Japanese would ever use some Confucian classic. Only foreigners (laughs) use those. (laughs) (laughs) Confucian. I'm on fire. Yeah. Uh, So in case people are not aware, the Japanese and Chinese do not like each other. No, not at all. And especially uh, earlier in the 20th century. Yeah, because they were constantly fighting over land. And Japan was very... Very much the aggressor for a long time. They tried to take over 
all the area around them. And right. even if that's part of what they were doing in World War II was right. trying to take over China and all the area around them. And that what, was their master plan. And one of the things that I really actually don't like about Man in the High Castle, one of the things that – the few things that, I, that is really hard for me to stomach is – and one of the letters I saw PKD's like straight up in the letter to the translator, in his letter to the translator, he basically is like kissing the dude's ass – Saying, like, I hope you notice how much I like Japanese culture and how great <laughs> I think how there would have been certain positive things that would have come out of Japan taking over see, the West Coast. I, I was thinking about this, and when I was reading it this time, because last time I read it, I had no idea about their the relationship between China and Japan historically. But this time I was reading it, and it's like having modern-day Christians using – using the Quran as their main form of religious understanding. Yeah. The I- it is that, it is that bad of a, of a relationship. Yeah. The I Ching thing in this is just I Ching. The I Ching being used by people. I, I guess if Tagomi is the only one that's using the I Ching, I can live with that. I- but the I, I Ching. Yeah. I Ching. If, if Tagomi is the only one using the I Ching, like I can live with that, but if it's everyone in Japanese culture, it's it's a little much of a stretch, and really just as about as inaccurate as some of the Bob stuff in, yeah, exactly. in, in uh, Eye in the Sky. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't ruin the novel for me, but it definitely no, 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 no. yeah, but it definitely is something. Where well, and and can I read that one quote from the book real quick? Sure, sure. Just to take care of this one, get in there, Larry. Because he did he did talk about it. If I can find it. Uh, he, the quote is, it's on page 117 of this edition. Uh, the Mariner yeah, uh, edition that we all read. It's the one time we've all read the same copy. <laughs> uh, even the I Ching, which they forced down our throats, it's Chinese, borrowed from right, way back when. Whom are they fooling? Themselves, pilfer customs, right and left, wear, eat, talk, walk, as for instance, consuming with gusto baked potatoes served with sour cream and chives, old-fashioned American dish added to their hall, but nobody fooled. I can tell you, me least of all. So there it's just saying, you know, the the Japanese aren't being pure Japanese. They are they are colonizing all of these other cultures mm-hmm. and and bringing them into their fold, much like. The American Christmas is a ripoff of pagan rituals and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, in all this reaction to Man in the High Castle, um, I, th- one thing that I, I, I found online that I thought was really interesting is that in his lifetime, PKD didn't get the kind of mainstream success that he really kind of hoped for. But, or deserved, really. Or deserved. But in 2006, the New York Times reviewed Man in the High Castle, saying Dick has written one of America's... You, you okay over there? <clears throat> in 2006, <Thank> you. <laughs> the New York Times would review it and say, Dick has written one of America's enduring expressionist novels of, in- of alienation and disillusionment. And I think to get that kind of respect from the New York Times for his novel would have blown his mind. Right. I think... Um, and it's deserved. I mean, it's, you know, this might not be the best novel, not even his best novel, but 
but it certainly is a turning point and and a and a much deeper novel than it's been given credit for, especially in his lifetime. Well, in his lifetime, yeah, and I and I definitely think that. It's hard to call a novel that won the Hugo Award underrated. Yeah, I I, I realize that, but it <laughs> but it really is because it. it well, I certainly mean, when you've got Don Wolheim throwing darts at it, <laughs> you know, like the way that Don Wolheim quote goes, you could almost picture him having a copy of Man in the High Castle up on a dartboard right. in the office, being like, yeah, and that other guy, Bobby Boucher or whatever, Tony he's like Voucher. Yeah, that guy is. He's like Bobby Boucher. <laughs> fucking. By the way. If you listen back to our episodes, we've mentioned Tony Boucher like 80 times. A hundred times. Yeah. Right, because he was a major important editor. But so you have two of these huge editors in science fiction being like, this is a bunch of shit. And, and he wins the Hugo. And <laughs> he wins the Hugo. <laughs> it's a massively popular. So at the same time that he's winning the Hugo, he has some of his like really important editors and peers throwing shade on it, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. If you really think about it, I mean, it's like... Well, maybe they didn't... They they all liked Dick kind of keeping Dick in the dark as a genre fiction writer, and here he is coming out with this more alternate history novel. Maybe they're and just they're, And they're not getting anything from Yeah, exactly. Them. And they're not... He's not publishing it with them. Exactly. He went That's to Putnam. straight up jealousy. It's yeah. straight up jealousy. Yeah. Yeah, and we can look back on it and say and they're like, you know, like, well, PKD... <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You should be writing Space Slavers <laughs> of Orion 2 for the next Ace Double, not this, not even this mainstream novel. This right. mainstream Hugo Award winning novel. novel. Hmm. It's just sick and outdated. What the fuck is outdated about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. it's almost like they're saying that what he was writing, that the characters, that that was like his point of view or some shit. I yeah, don't I don't know. Well, they call it sick and. I mean, I, I, I think I read a different book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah, it's straight up weird kind of jealousy and, you know, but, mm-hmm. but to They're me. They're throwing shade hard at PKD here. This quote from Don Wolheim, like when I was doing the research for this episode was like, just really stood out for me. And I was like, this is something that we definitely need to get into and talk about because like, you know, not only was this a turning point, but you have like this guy who published um, like ninety five percent of PKD's books to this point, right? Basically, trying to lasso him and hold him down and say, "Keep writing the pulp bullshit that you were writing," because <laughs> that makes me money. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and if you look at on, on the shelf at the the, I'm looking at at Larry's books on the shelf, <laughs> as you can't see, but if you look at the ones that came out, we, we later do go to other publishers to Bantam and, and, mm-hmm. and, and we, we do get other things. He definitely publishes Wilhelm again, but, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a totally acceptable for a writer to branch out and go to different publishers. And one publisher might like a book and another one might hate it. I, yep. I think these guys are just being a little too pissy about it. Yeah. And really, if, if Don Wilhelm would have his way, um, we, you know, we'd be doing podcasts throughout of, f- through the sixties of, you know, space slaver novels and yeah, yeah. finally PKD would do an alternate universe space pirate book. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that with the, the confidence that this book gave him, we we're able to get things like the simulacra, the, uh, Martian time slip, penultimate truth, Dr. Right. Blood money, all these things that 
you know, we, we heard the quote where he said that he was writing these novels in record time. Well, I don't think, I don't think Don Wolheim would have ever signed off on three stigmata no. or a scanner darkly. <laughs> right. Until he had the kind of success that he did. Yeah. Yeah. With, with Man in the High Castle. So this is definitely a, a crucial turning point. But you know what? It's time to get into the, the book? story breakdown. Oh, Larry. I don't envy you, my friend. Because this is going to be a hard one. Yeah. So let us, let me just sit back. I'm going to stretch a little bit. Yeah, maybe light a cigarette while you break it down. Alright. Alright, so, so this is a, fuck, a off to a great start. Yeah, give it to us. Uh, okay, so so we start with uh, this racist guy getting a phone call from uh, this Japanese guy. And the racist guy is like, oh, I don't have your thing. And the Japanese guy is like, oh, you better have my thing. And so he's like, oh, I'll give you a different thing because he, he runs a, uh, a thing an, store. An, an, an <laughs> antique <laughs> store. So then we're like, okay, so that's going to happen at some point. Then we go to um, this guy named Frank. Uh, his real name is Fink, and he's a a Jewish guy who works in a shop, but he, he kind of got fired because he mouthed off about some shit. And he has to go back into work, and he's hiding because he's Jewish, and uh, nobody can know he's a Jew because uh, the Nazis won the war. And so did the Japanese. Uh, uh, the Japanese and the Nazi and the Germans won one World War Two. You should know that. Um, <laughs> kind of important. Yeah, that's kind of important, important to, to the story. To the book. Uh, and then we and they're in a Cold War now. With yes, each other. Burn. Well, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's even colder than the war that we actually had because they will not admit that they're kind and, of vying for power. Right. And so I can't remember the third thing we do, uh, but it doesn't matter because then we go to uh, what's her face's joint, uh, Natalie. What's, wait, where Juliana. Juliana. <laughs> Juliana is uh, Frank Frank's uh, wife. And or was. Well, she technically still is his wife. Yeah, they're just estranged. She and teaches judo. <laughs> she is a a judo teacher. In some little town in Colorado, and right. she's going to get a hamburger at the local <laughs> diner mm-hmm. or a steak dinner, whatever. And she meets these two truckers, and they're kind of like dicks, and she's kind of a dick to them. And then the cook at the diner is kind of a dick to them. And then everybody's a dick to everyone. <laughs> and then she's like, Okay, you younger trucker dude, you want to go home with me? And he's like, "Yep, let's do that." So then we go somewhere else, uh, and we meet. And they they talk about books. Not yet. Not yet. And then we meet Baines, who's a Swedish, not Swedish guy, <laughs> who's going to meet with our uh, our Japanese fellow that we met earlier. Who is I'm looking at names, that's why I'm pausing. <laughs> is Tagomi. Tagomi is the go to Japanese guy. And so Baines 
is going to meet with him and he meets this other, this artist, this German artist who's kind of a dick on, on the, the plane over. And the guy's like, yeah, I, you should be more modern, like, like modern art is and fuck Jews. And so Baines is like, guess what? I'm Jewish, buddy. Yeah. I just had a nose job and I dyed my hair. Look at me now. What are you going to do? Huh? Huh? What are you going to do? Huh? Come at me, bro. But he doesn't come at him at all because it turns out that Baines has more power than this artist fella. I like the undoing surgery. The undoing surgery. And so we follow Baines for a bit. And he initially goes to, goes to Takomi's office, Takomi's office, and they have this little trick where they had this guy that, that speaks Swedish and he's like, Hey, our boy speaks Swedish. Why don't you have a little conversation with him? And Baines is like, Oh shit, I don't speak Swedish because I'm not actually Swedish. I'm German and not a Jew at all. I'm just a German guy. So we find out that he's on a secret mission, but we don't know what the secret mission is. So let's head over back to Frank, and Frank gets to work, and his buddy McMahon, Mc, McSomething, McCarthy, McCarthy, <laughs> who is like this really—he's a cool guy. He's the foreman. He's like, "Hey, Frank, you're good at doing stuff. You should start your own business with my designs. Let's go be in business together." And so they do, and then their boss doesn't like that, but they don't care because they both quit. Where one got fired and one quit. So then we're back over to Juliana and she's like, hey, guy I just slept with, you're kind of weird. He's like, fuck, <laughs> I'm an Italian. I, I fought in war and stuff. And she's like, yeah, but I know judo. I could kick your ass. And he's like, yeah, you probably can't. Those And he's and, like those mean old Brits. and Yeah, he doesn't like other things. And and he talks, he talks a, a lot about stuff. And then they're like, we should go after we have a lot of sex and stuff. We should uh, go to Denver because that's where it's happening. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, I didn't mention the book. Everybody's talking about this book. All right, everybody has got this big hard on for this book, <laughs> and no, nobody. It's like an alternate. It's an alternate history of their history, which is kind of like our history, but it's not our history. <laughs> it's not so, exactly our history. Yeah, they got that from what I said, David. Whoa. <laughs> so anyway. Story beat down. <laughs> we, we go back to our, our favorite racist, uh, who is named Childen. He's like, I'm going to go to this young couple's house and have dinner with them and everything's going to be cool. I'm not going to freak out and I'm not going to be all weird and American. I'm going to be super like, calm and Japanese and he gets there and he's like, Oh fuck, I fucking freaked out. And so it doesn't work out. But the, the dude there is, is, is like, it's okay. I'll, I'll still hang out with you a little bit, even though you're kind of weird and stuff. And dude's like, yeah, that's cool. I want to fuck your wife. And he's like, oh, okay. Is it, I don't know. That guy's kind of weird. And then, so the next day or the day after, you know, uh, Frank dresses up like a uh, like a gentleman. A he's a, rolling now. By he's the way. like the uh, the the second mate of some captain of a, a Japanese submarine, and he rolls up into a dude's shop, and he's like, 
hey, can I get a gun? The guy pulls out a gun, and he's like, that gun's fake. Later, I'm out of here. So then, you know, Children's like, dude, one of those guns was fake? That means everything might be fake. My life might be fake. Everything sucks. Fucking Jews. <laughs> and uh, so then we go over to Tagomi, and he's like, man, I really like that Baines guy. I wish he'd hang out more. Baines calls him, and he's like, hey, this other guy's going to show up. When he shows up, we can hang out. And Tagomi's like, man, but I wanted to hang out. And so they don't hang out for like two weeks. And every day, Baines is like, hey, uh, did dude show up? Dude didn't show up? All right, later. And so they, they don't hang out at all. And meantime, uh, Juliana's hanging out with the, the guy. And the guy's getting a little weirder as things go on. He's like, I'm driving. And she's like, all right, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, and, and, a truck and Frank driver. has said he is not a truck driver. He's a truck rider. He's oh. security for the truck, That's which is true. total bullshit. Uh, anyway, so, but in the meantime, Frank's like, man, I really miss my wife, even though she was a little nuts, which will come back later. Watch. Oh, it comes back. <laughs> and, uh, and Frank, who is a really nice guy, but he's like, it's just a little bit, he's just, uh, a little bit Woody Allen in, in the way he, he's like, dad, geez, everything sucks. <laughs> And everything I do is going to fail. Uh, the I Ching will save me. Oh, it didn't save me. Oh, geez. Well, that was more Rick and Morty, but I'm not, I'm not doing impressions right now. Uh, but he, he, he's, he's certain that the business is going to fail. They're making jewelry. They're making beautiful jewelry. And, uh, McMahon, McCarthy is like, dude, relax. I'll go sell to this dude. Everything will be fine. And, and, Frank's like, oh, it's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna suck and everything's gonna suck. God, I wish I could consult the I Ching about this, but I'm not gonna for reasons. And so Children sees McCarthy and McCarthy gets really nervous. Children takes advantage of him. He's like, <laughs> consignment or some shit. And, uh, so he gets the jewelry from him and he's like, I can either say it's stolen or I can sell it or I can do some shit. And then he's like, oh, you know what I should do? Hot takes on consignment. I should, I should totally give one of these things to that other dude's wife so I can bang her. And then he's like, oh, no, wait, I got a better idea. I'll give it to her husband. He'll give it to her. Then I'll go see her. And then I'll be like, did you like the thing that I gave to him to give to you? Let's bang. So that's his plan. But it doesn't work because dude's like, that thing you gave me was hilarious. And no, I'm never giving that piece of shit to my wife, you idiot. And uh, the guy's like, oh, geez. Oh, wait, no, that's more of the Jewish guy. Uh, children's like, oh, fuck. I fucked up again. Oh, I'm so fucking, I fuck up all the time. Why am I such a fuck up? Jews! And uh, then uh, Tagomi, and then we leave him for a bit. And uh, Tagomi is like, all right, I'm really mad that, that I can't see Baines because he was a good time. And Baines is like, that guy that's supposed to be there is never going to be there. Uh, I better go check and see what's going on. So he goes to a private, the secret meeting in a men's room, and uh, men's changing room. And he's like, uh, I don't think dude's showing up. Uh, you want to tell me what's happening? And super secret agent guy is like, I'll tell you tomorrow. He's like, well, that's convenient. And then, but tomorrow comes, and all this, oh shit, all this time, 
the guy in charge of the Germans has died. And so they've had this whole thing going with the, like, oh, no, who's going to be in charge of the Germans? And it turns out that um, who who ends up in charge? Is it Goebbels or Goebbels? Is it Goebbels or <laughs> Gerbils? <laughs> no, um, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's Goebbels because he's the one that's really good speaker. I think it's Goebbels. Yeah. We'll talk about that in the history in the history episode. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because uh, the there just know there's there's some shit going down in Germany that's not cool. Operation Dandelion. Yeah, which is coming up real quick here. All right. So finally, dude shows up at the office. His name is Yatabi, but his name is actually Tadeki. He's a general, an ex-general, or sort of an ex-general, and he's kind of a badass, and he's like. All right, why am I here? And Baines says, my name's not Baines. It's Rudolf Wegener. Wegener. Rudolf Wegener. And I'm from a super secret society in Germany that doesn't like what's happening. And by the way, uh, Germany's going to nuclear bomb your asses. And we don't want that to happen. But if you don't want that to happen, you have to support the super Nazis. And dude's like... Well, that's a terrible choice. And Tagami's like, Tagami's like, oh, why am I here? This is not good for me. It's not good for my health. I've, I'm, I'm not enjoying this meeting as much as I thought I would. Meantime, Hugo Reese and his boss, Vom Mir, are talking. They're both like German Nazi officials. And they're like, hey, the boss says we got to go arrest this Tagami guy. Or no, we gotta go arrest this, uh, this, uh, Baines guy. And Baines, uh, he's like, they're like, uh, he's not actually Baines. His, his name is Wegener or Wed, Wegener, some shit. And he's, he's a bad dude for us. And they're like, okay. And, uh, Reese is like, yeah, and by the way, somebody should kill that author that wrote that book everybody's talking about. But he said that earlier, but I'm gonna throw it in now. Uh, anyway, so then, they send some dudes dressed like like street thugs. They're like, let's send some dudes dressed like street thugs to go get that that guy out of the building, and they do. And Tagomi, who's normally like this Buddhist, real calm guy, just likes hanging out and chilling, he he gets out this Colt rifle and he stands with it pointed at the door for fifteen minutes. These two German guys rush in and go, "Ich mein Fraulein," <laughs> and shit. And he's like, "Yeah, fuck you." And he shoots him in the face. That's a uh, great part of the book. It was probably my favorite part of the book. <laughs> and so then he gets sad about it. Uh, <laughs> and in the, in the meantime, Don't be sad. Juliana's with her her uh, Italian boyfriend Joe, and they're hanging out in Denver. And Joe's getting super weird. He's like, "You're gonna wear this dress. We're going to that house where that writer lives, and we're gonna have a good time. All right? It's gonna be a good time." And, uh, she's like, there's something wrong about this guy. And, uh, I'm, I'm starting to have bad feelings. He's like, we're going to go to the, we're going to the hotel. Then we're going to dinner. Then we're going to guy's house. All right. You're wearing that dress. All right. He likes people that wear dresses and You're look going exotic. To wear the dress. He's very, wear the dress about the dress. And she's like, well, okay. I'm fine with the dress. Okay. But I really don't want to go tonight. I want to hang out in Denver and go to a show. He and... also wants her to get a haircut. Well, a hair, a hair do, hair, hair do. 
That's true. He gets really into that hairdo, too. Yeah. And he's like, you have to do this shit. And she's like, you you know, I'm a little unhinged, and I know judo, like, really, I know a lot of judo. And then and then he's like, I don't care if you know judo, put the, do the hair and the dress and shit. And then she grabs a razor blade from the bathroom, and she's like, I should kill myself. Oh, I ruined my wool clothes. Then she's naked, and uh, he's like, bitch, get a haircut. And uh, so she's like, man, this is an uncool thing that's happening here. And I'm going to go get another razor blade. So she goes and gets another razor blade. And he's like, bitch, I told you to get a hard cut. And then she slits his throat. And he's like, whoa, that sucks. She goes outside, comes back in. And he's like, turns out you are really good at judo. <laughs> and you slit my throat. But I've got, a, I've got a hold on it here. Everything's fine. As long as you get me help. And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to pack and stuff and leave. And I'll, I'll get some help. And then she forgets. And she's like, oh, shit. I was going to get help, but I didn't do it. Because, He'll be fine. Wait, did we? Did you miss the fact that he was a Nazi all along? Well, no. We're, well, we're getting there. Okay. Sorry. And yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns, turns out. It's not just the haircut that was bugging her. Yeah. Turns out he's a Nazi and he wanted to kill the this writer that the other Nazis want to kill. The titular man in the high castle. He is the 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 titular man in the high castle. Uh which he said he lived in the high castle. But really, it's a very catcher in the rye. It's a very good title. Yeah. It's a very it's a very very nice image. But it's really just a house. Yeah, it's just a house with a bunch of guns <laughs> that you have to go up an elevator to get to. That's the high castle, but they don't live in the high castle anymore. But anyway, so in the meantime, <laughs> Uh, they find out that, that Frank is actually Fink because his boss was pissed off because he, you know, because Childen called a guy who called another guy and then that guy called, uh, Frank's old boss and was like, you gotta stop doing the gun thing because y- you did it shitty. And he's like, Frank, I knew it was Frank. So he, he gets Frank arrested and Frank's like, fuck, I don't want to be arrested. Plus I got all these problems. I spent all my money, and now I want to get out of business, but but my buddy's all positive about things, and that's really annoying, and so he goes to jail. And Tagomi is like, I'm lost. I killed some dudes. I'm feeling bad about it. Uh, you know, my my spirit is east and south and north and west. <laughs> and, uh, and then he stops by Children's Store, and Children's like, Got this different vibe about him because, you know, when he confronted, uh, his, his Japanese buddy who he gave this pendant to, to give to his wife, the whole, I'm going to bang your wife thing. It turns out the guy was like, well, there's something about this that's different. We've been totally into all this old shit, but this is something new and different. And it's kind of lame, but it's very American. And we kind of, I, we're kind of coming around to that. He's like, all right. So now I've got this new understanding of how things work and I've got some, some, some different calmness in me and I'm not super worried about, uh, Japanese people liking me as much. And I don't know how I feel about the Jews, but I assume I, I, now I assume that he still hates Jews and, and, and black people, but it's never really resolved. Mm -mm. Uh, 
So then, uh, so Tagomi's like, ah, oh, man, I'm north and south and stuff. And he goes into the store and, and, uh, and children's like, you should check out my new shit that these two guys are making. And, and, and then Tagomi's like, yeah, that's not Japanese at all, dude. Japanese people don't dig that shit. And he's like, I'm out of here. So he goes outside and, and he's like, well, maybe, I, maybe I will check it out. All right. I've, I've got nothing going. I've got a gun in my fucking briefcase. What, what do I have going in life? Uh, so he goes back in, children gives him this, uh, little earring or some shit. And then Tagomi goes to the park and he hangs out and he's trying to, he's like, mm, concentrating on this, this little pendant or whatever it is. He's like, mm, stop being silver and start being art or something. Do something to my life. Make me better. And then he, he has like an aneurysm or something and he, he, he a, a cop says, Hey, you're playing a puzzle game. And he gets pissed off about that. And then he's like, God damn it, you stupid cop. I was almost at an epiphany. And he gets up and he's like, Holy shit, there's a freeway. Where did that come from? And where are all the pedicabs? And he's like, I'm going to go get a coffee at this joint. And it's a bunch of white racist people. And they're like, Get the fuck out of here, Tojo. And he's like, Well, this is totally different. I'm going back to the park and grabbing that thing and doing something else. So he goes back to the park, finds the thing, everything works out, he's back to the world. Everything's good. He's no longer north and south. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's no longer north and south, he finds some kids, they get him a pedicab, he goes back to the office, and he's like, that uh, one of them fucking Nazi dudes shows up smoking cigarettes and being annoying, and he's like, dude, get to, I fucking, I don't like you. I don't like you. Get the fuck out of here. You never need to see me again. We'll sign papers and do that shit, but we'll do it over the phone next time, all right? Just get the fuck out. And dude's like, well, that was rude. And he's like, yeah, yeah, fuck you. And then he's like, oh, oh, except now I'm having a heart attack, so that sucks. And so he has this heart attack, but he's fine. Everything works out for him in in his – spiritually. Spiritually, he's fine. And so – and so then, um, uh, Frank is let out of jail for, for, for reasons. I think Tagomi did a little thing. He, he signed a little secret note about Frank when he saw that, that German guy, that Nazi guy. He was like, and go ahead and let, let Frank go. And so Frank just gets out of jail and he's like, I should call my wife. She probably wants to hear from me. And maybe she does. Which we find out she wants to call him too. It's, they might get back together. I don't know. Aww. But we won't find out this episode. Uh, so Juliana. Forever. <laughs> Juliana <laughs> goes, uh, goes to the writer's house and, uh, she, well, she finishes the book, The Grasshopper of, of Time or whatever it is. <laughs> the Grasshopper and, Lies Heavy. The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. <laughs> I like Grasshopper of Time better. <laughs> and then she, she goes to the house and she's like, Hey, I called last night. I said some crazy shit. Can I come in? And then they're like, yeah, of course. We love crazy shit. Come in, you weird person that said a bunch of weird shit on the phone. And so she comes in. She's like, are you the writer? He's like, yeah, I'm the writer. She says, you didn't write shit. The, uh, the I Ching wrote the whole thing. And he's like, oh, you found me out. And then they get, you know, kind of miffed about it. And then they talk about it. And she's like, Oh, so it was the, it was the, the, it was, it was the, the mystical 
It's a mystical book, not a real book. What if Vulcan 3 wrote it? It was Vulcan 3 that wrote it. <laughs> it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and then, and then she's like, well, that was, I'm sorry I figured that out. And he's like, it's cool. I'm still not going to tell anybody. And thanks for killing that dude. And then she leaves. And she's like, maybe I'll call my husband. And that's the end of the book. Wow. I, I, I got as much in there as I could. <laughs> uh, okay, Larry. Good job. Uh, oh. That was hard work. Yeah. This, the Man in the High Castle has uh, got a lot going on in it. But it, interestingly enough, there's a lot of events that happen, but it's not a very plot-driven story. So yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to put it all together because I can't just follow a thread. All right. So now we're going to get into some, like, nitty-gritty of, like, things that happen in the book and break down some kind of themes and things that are going on. Um, as far as... So I think now we can safely say, since we've kind of gone over what the plot is, that without kind of spoiling for things, as most of you read the book, is that the fact that the Nazis won World War II, or the Axis, Axis won, powers, the Axis powers won World War II, this is not a gee whiz, look at how the world would be different novel as much as people like to think it is, even though like that's how Putnam pr- promoted it yeah what this novel is really about is how and it's all expressed in the analogy with the um historical items that are seen as being fake that what pkd is trying to to do is write about how history itself is just another form of reality that is unreliable Mm -hmm. right so this is the theme of man in the high castle is what is reality just like a lot of PKD, and I, I think that some people uh, kind of misread this novel as being something that it isn't. It, it is alternate history to a degree, but it is much more so about what is reality than it is this other history. Right. What what creates reality is the right. So um, now we now this is Anthony's first time reading Man in the High Castle. Correct. Correct. Okay, but. Larry and I have both read Man in the High Castle before. In fact, we both read Man in the High Castle the same year, even though we didn't know each other at the time. <laughs> we both read it in 1994 for the first time. Yeah. But this is your second time reading. My second time reading. Okay. This yeah. is my th- technically third time. Um, in 2006, I listened to an audiobook of it. So it's my second time, like, like th- really reading it. Really reading it. I yeah. listened to the audiobook in 2006. So, um, not to offend any audiobook people, because I know some people can really get a lot out of that. And I just personally can't. Yeah, I don't. I enjoy. I can get a lot out of an audiobook, but I definitely get more out of reading it with my eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, reading it this third time was the first time that I think when I read it in 1994, I was in college, um, and I was living in Syracuse, New York, but at the time, and I definitely was wanting to read it for the G whiz Nazi factor. <laughs> and I think I, at the time, like I had that cover of the book that had like all the swastikas and the, the, the death camp oh, like, yeah, imagery yeah, yeah. over New York. Yeah. And, and, and I definitely was kind of like, huh? You know? And, and I think I liked it, but I was definitely like, this isn't what I was expecting. Cause I wanted like, 
you know, resistance fighters and, you know, a lot of the things that we get in the uh, TV show. Well, I was, my story is I was hanging out a lot at Sonoma State University. I had just moved to San Francisco. I was just bumming around. My sister invited me up there to stay with her in Novato in Marin County because her her husband went out to sea with the Navy and she didn't want to be alone for that nine months. And so I was like, yeah, all right. He was on his first Westpac and I was like, I had nowhere to go, nothing to do. I was getting away from a bunch of ex-girlfriends that wanted to do harm to my body. And so, <laughs> so I moved from San Diego up to San Francisco Turned out a friend of mine was going to school at Sonoma, and they had some work for me to do in theater, so I went there and was a sound guy for a little while. And I hooked up with this guy, Brian, who, uh, who like, he read a lot and listened to a lot of good music, and he was like, you should read Man on, Man on a High Castle. It's all about, takes place in San Francisco, and I was reading about San Francisco a lot. I was reading a lot of beat books and, and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And I don't know if I really, I, I know I didn't get near as much out of it as I did this time. I think I just enjoyed it enough to read more Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it enough to be like, oh, I really recommend this one book. But I was intrigued enough by the ideas where I was like, I should check this writer out a little more. Now, I had read. But I had read, I'd read, um, Blade Runner before, you know, yeah. but that even that that didn't even come into my mind at this time. Yeah. I was doing a lot of drugs too. <laughs> I was really into to PKD short stories. A lot of mushrooms, my man. Um, I was reading a lot of PKD short stories at this time when I in nineteen ninety four when I read Man in the High Castle, and it was definitely I had read, I believe, Vallis. Right before I read this, mm. and I really liked Vallis at the time. Um, but again, I don't think I got a lot of it. But when I read, when I listened to the audiobook in 2006, I think I got a little bit more of it. But this is definitely the most that I've gotten out of it. And now the yeah. question comes, did I get more out of it because I just read every book that Philip K. Dick had written up until that point over the last couple months? And spend an immense <laughs> amount of time researching him. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that had a lot to do with how uh, my reading of it. But at the same time, um, I've also in the in the interim, I watched the TV show and, uh, or at least the first season of the TV show, and uh, when it first came out, and you know, I had that. I had enough of 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 the book in my head when I watched the TV show that I could tell the differences. You know, I didn't. Yeah. And I definitely could, but uh, you know, there's some interesting things. So let's let's get into it. Um, so right on page four, I'm not going to read this, but there is mention of the ruins of San Francisco, and that's something that's kind of glossed. I think it's mentioned early in the book that there's ruins of San Francisco, but then it doesn't sound very ruined the rest of the time. Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. Well, there's a lot of those inconsistencies. I think yeah. if we look at it. It, it, there's character inconsistencies and there's there's those kind of setting inconsistencies because I don't think this was heavily edited uh, backwards. Right. I think it was just he pushed through the whole thing and like when uh, for some reason some of those like oh I made this person racist they should be racist in the first chapter never got done. Yeah. 
And so, and I think some of those things, it's okay because in Man in the High Castle, when you have the Togobi scene towards the end, where we see that, you know, our universe is, or the universe of this book is kind of fluid. Yeah. So it's okay if those things happen. And he definitely specifically said, like, I have this, I found this quote where, um, he says that uh, Tagomi slid across into our universe. He simply sat in a park and scrutinized a piece of modern abstract handmade jewelry. Sat and studied on it. And when he looked up, he was in another universe. I didn't explain how or why this happened because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't even yeah, know. Yeah, but I still think that was essential for the end to make any sense is that yeah. you have to uh, – it has to be experienced in the book for – I mean that's a good enough reason for me. This has to happen so that can happen. Yeah, and so for the for the Tony Bouchers and the Dallin Wolheims out there who say that this book isn't science fiction, um, I would point to page nine of the Mariner edition <laughs> where it says, um, the Pacific had done nothing towards the colonization of the planets. <laughs> it was involved, bogged down rather, in South America. Uh, while the Germans were busy... Um, were um, busy bustling enormous robot construction systems across <laughs> space. The Japs were, stu- were still burning off jungles in the interior of Brazil, erecting eight-foot floor clay apartment houses for ex-headhunters. By the time the Japs got their first spaceship off the ground, the Germans would have the entire solar system sewed up. <laughs> yeah, and I love that the big difference is in plastics. Because the Japanese are still using wood and the Germans are using plastics. Right. And, um. But those are, that's for spaceships. So that's science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's some really speculative stuff, including on page 10, there's, um, where he talks about, uh, and it's interesting that it comes after he says, Christ on a crapper. (laughs) He thought (laughs) Africa. For the ghosts of dead tribes, wiped out to make land of what? Who knew? Maybe even the master architects in Berlin did not know. So one of the things that's interesting about this timeline is they just frickin' wiped out Africa. And Yeah, the total it was a total genocide of Africa. Yeah, and so and then and that's on um Yeah, and there he specifically names who was behind that. Um there was um, I'm, yeah, it was, there was a pamphlet, um, about the final solution to the African problem. Right. Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember who the, yeah, there was a, and we'll talk about that in the, um, in, when we interview Dr. Rosenfeld, but, uh, there's specifically, you know, a lot of mentions of the African final solution. And it's interesting that for whatever reason, that's like, they just, took out Africa in this history, but you know, well, it is. it's not they. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. PKD took out Africa. <laughs> right. In the novel. Yeah. But, um, and so, and, and another interesting theme that kind of comes up in the book, and I know, um, our, our homie Evan Lampy, uh, talks about this a little bit in his podcast, but I think it's really interesting on page seven, there's mention that in 1947, he actually refers to Capitulation Day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the day that the U.S. like basically surrendered or the, or the Allies surrendered. And we don't know if there is actually an Allies 
Yeah. Like in this. It doesn't sound like there is. It sounds like it's just the, the British. Right. Because on, in capitulation day, what they're t- kind of talking about is, um, the, the difference in this history of this world that we're talking about is that Roosevelt was, ex- was assassinated. Assassinated. And so what in PKD is doing here and is. So he never became president. Well, or you know, he got he, he had, was assassinated in his first year, the first year of his presidency. That is an actual historical event. The guy he talks about assassinating Roosevelt actually did try to shoot Roosevelt. Um, he just failed, um, and I looked that up. So that is that is a real dude. Um, and so what he's kind of postulating in this future is that with. When, without Roosevelt, like, kind of taking us out of the Great Depression, that we, that the U.S. just wouldn't have the money to put up an army to, yeah. to combat the Nazis. And so the idea would be in this version of the history that they, we just basically capitulated because we, there was just no way we could fight. And so we just kind of let them take the eastern half of the United States, which, this is a little far-fetched. But, uh. Um, well, that's not the only thing because the Pearl Harbor attack was a, a full attack and the fleet was in. So they destroyed all of the American fleet. Right. So it, there, it was that it, dual action thing. Yeah. And so one of the things that's interesting about this whole idea of the capitulation day is that a lot of what this novel deals with in very subtle ways is the guilt of uh, losing. There's the part where, um, I think it's, is it Joe who talks, or no, there's one character, no, it was, as Frank Fink talks about how he buried his gun. Cause, you know, one day he was going to fight those Japs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I think one of the things that modern Germany had to deal with is a lot of the Germans who were a part of the war had to deal with the guilt of, having been a part of the German war machine, right? And so what PKD kind of hints at here is the idea of the guilt of not doing anything to stop the German war yeah. machine. And um, I think this is one area that the TV show actually explores the issue a little bit more than the novel does. The novel definitely mentions it because the idea of capitulation day <laughs> is uh, like really on the nose. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's just like a really interesting thing, I think, about this novel. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more dealing with the guilt. But I don't know. So that's that's something. Well, um, I mean, there's a lot of things you can say that didn't get explored quite as thoroughly as they should have. Yeah. Um, it's not a tight novel. Let's put it that way. It's not... It's not written tightly as far as, as exploring to the limits of each idea. Right. Because, because it was, it, it just seems like it was rushed. And it, it, I'm not saying it's bad in any way. I'm just saying that it, it, it was just rushed through and, and none of those things were gone retroactively gone back to and, and added in. Yeah. And this is not, I'm, I'm going to just say, I'm just going to point out one line on page 13 that I thought was really funny. That's like not really important to anything, but it's just really funny commentary on Philip K. Dick. 
and the way he thinks. And this is just a very Philip K. Dick line that kind of got slipped into the novel. When he introduces, when Frank's thinking about Julia, Juliana for the first time, he says, Juliana, dash, the best looking woman he had ever married. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like, he just married a ton, you know, it's like, this this idea that marrying a, a ton of different women is just kind of right. <laughs> it's just the kind of thing, you know. Um, and then we already kind of uh, in the story breakdown, we kind of joked about it. But on page forty three, ooh, hold uh, on, I want to say one thing. I, I want to do a hot take here and see what you guys think. Okay. Um, from an editing perspective, I think this novel should have started on page thirty. All right. Well, let's open to page thirty and see what. I think everything that happens prior to it could be added after this point or not at all. Oh, you mean open up with Juliana? Yes. Like in the... uh, Those first two chapters bored me to death. Huh. Yeah. That's actually... That's... that's, This is the first time something actually happens. Right. Yeah, I'm okay with it the way that it is, but I see what you're saying. Um, and it, it's funny, I'm looking at page 31 and I hadn't really pulled anything out about this, but it did remind me to mention that the Nazi like rockets and rocketry and going overhead. Yeah. And everything like that's, it's really kind of funny that, that again, uh, not to harp on this, but Don Wolheim and Tony Boucher saying this wasn't science fiction. Right. Um, and then, so it gets into the idea that gets into the idea here and not to, to gloss over. I, I think your idea of interest, it's interesting to start at chapter three, uh, because that is like kind of the first like forward momentum of the, um, of the, the story. Yeah. yeah the plot. The story. But, um, I mean, those other two chapters, I, I really dragged for me. Yeah. Um, I see what, um, I see what you're saying, but, um, Anthony, you doing okay over here? Yeah, I agree with Larry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it are is... Are you just fading, or are you just <laughs> just taking it in? Just taking it in. Well, when I read this book in 1994, <laughs> um, I didn't, because I was eight, <laughs> and probably playing Mortal Kombat. Oh, man, I was playing Mortal Kombat back then. <laughs> um, I was playing with my sister. So it, as a first read, I think this is a book that, that you do benefit from more than one read with. So as a first time reader with it, it was a lot to take in at once. I felt like right. not, not helping is the kind of disjointed. I, I feel like it's a really disorganized book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm taking it in. I'm taking in the ideas and opinions of two guys who've read it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think it's... Because I almost felt like I was too dumb for this book. But go on. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Because, yeah, you did comment on that when you were when you were first reading that you felt that you were too dumb for this book. But at the same time, you're saying that you think it's kind of a mess and somewhat all over the place. So... Which it is. I mean, that's... It is. It is honest. It is, but it's almost... It's on purpose, in a way, you know to be a little bit disjointed on purpose. But I uh, little, would you say it's a little out of joint? Ooh. <laughs> like time. Oh yeah. Well, Larry got it. Yeah. The uh you why do you say it's on purpose? Well, I'm just saying that that, that I think that he's 
the whole questioning of reality thing of this story and how... Mm, I think that's a little too meta for the time, don't you? Not for Philip K. Dick. Yes. I would say for the time, but maybe not for PKD. I just, I just, but I don't know if I think it was disorganized on purpose. I, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a poorly edited book. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, this book could definitely there's, do there's with an edit. There's a fuck ton of typos in here. Well, I I don't know about the the and and I don't mean just with, and I don't mean just with dialogue. I mean with sentence. Well, structure. what do you what do you mean? I, I there's I, not I, a fuck ton of errors. Yeah, let's let's hear. I it wish again. I had. I did not notate any. No, errors. that's uh, that's fine. But are are you talking about what it we just talked felt about like earlier? there were words that, missing that yes, should have there been there are words missing, but those are missing on purpose. Even. Even but just, it's not. Eh. But you're right. It's not consistent. That yeah. Thank you. Okay. It's so it's very not consistent enough for the reader to understand that it's on purpose. Maybe at yes. least for me. No, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, it's not just in dialogue. It's also in, in the narrative, and, and that's a problem because it's you're. It, he's not half the time. He's not doing a character's narrative that would have that kind of speech pattern in in English. And it's, it's sort of a, a, a cross between the, the beat generation who did this ex- same exact thing mm-hmm. in a lot of their writings. Well, I think this is, sorry, Larry, I didn't mean to cut this you off. This is a, it is a, a half beat book. Well, I think it's a melding of Dick's genre writing in the type of book Dick wanted to write. Well, yeah, it's, okay, for me, for me reading it this time, I thought he's, he's a, uh, kind of, Making fun of the speech patterns of of the Japanese, well, you know, speakers. There, B, he's also making fun of the Beat Generation at the same time. Good, they fucking deserve it. <laughs> well, he was, but he's also trying to tie it into a serious narrative. Uh, yeah, I understand that. In his letter to the Japanese translator, he actually mentioned that he was like he asked the translator if. That if he thought he was okay with how he depicted how Japanese speak in broken English, and so he did intentionally do that. So, um, but as a, if if you were editing this book, you would not you would allow that in in the in the dialogue, but yeah. would you allow it in in the 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 narrative sections, the paragraphs? Hmm. I Good would question. not. I, I would probably not. wouldn't. I probably yeah. wouldn't because. That would be, it's, oh, it's, it's like, it would be like reading The Shadow Over Innsmouth if every character thought like they spoke. Yeah. Which would drive me nuts. Right. You don't want that. You, yeah. You, I wonder, I wonder, um, so since Man in the High Castle was reprinted in the Library of Congress editions, that the four Philip K. Dick novels, I wonder if it got re-edited for those. Four. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So there, there, the Library of Congress has, I believe, Time Out of Joint, uh, Three Stigmata, Great Man, book. Man in the High Castle, and Scanner Darkly mm. as like one in one book. Like, wow. Um, and that's the Library of Congress edition. So, and I wonder if they're re edited, to, to be honest with you, because um, that was like, I a, mean, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that now if this is how it, how if it this published. is how it was published. Yeah. Because it was, uh, like I said, it's also a sign of the times. Yeah. This writing was, this type of writing was not uncommon. It wasn't none you of know, that stuff. Leaving out the articles, leaving out pronouns. That yeah, was right. all, that was all very, very common at the time. 
Yeah, none of that stuff really detracted from the book for me personally, but um, I, the inconsistency of it did for me. Yeah, the, the, like the, your American characters should not have those. Yeah, thank you. Be that, thank that you. Way. That's something that really confused me because I actually struggled with trying to figure out the ethnicity of um, Childen at first yeah. because the his thought pattern is done in the way that Dick writes dialogue that, for that Japanese characters. Yeah, a broken English dial. But, but keep in mind, he's living in Japanese-occupied San Francisco. But he's a grown-ass man. <laughs> but again, that that's fine if he had done that the entire time. Yeah, if yeah. it were established earlier, then I wouldn't have had as much of a problem with it. But it was something that did detract from me trying to understand what character's headspace we were in, with yeah. the exception of probably Juliana, who yeah. I always knew because she was hanging out with Joe the whole right. time. It, it's it's confusing for the reader, or maybe like I said, maybe I'm just too dumb for it. It's not, it's not you, I don't think. No, I don't think it's you. But um, all right, so kind of moving on. <laughs> um, so we already mentioned this in the story breakdown, <laughs> but um, there is the on page uh, 43 of the Mariner edition. Baines talks about uh, how you would not you would not have known that he was Jewish. Because I did not in any physical way appear Jewish. I have had my nose altered, my large, greasy pores made smaller, <laughs> my skin chemically lightened, and the shape of my skull changed. In short, physically, I cannot be detected. So this uh, description of like how he's being un-Jewed right. <laughs> is... Um... <laughs> it's oddly racist. Is, is Yeah, um... But, <laughs> yeah, it is oddly racist. It is is really weird. Um, it was just a weird moment that I just couldn't ignore. So, some of our... I mean, I, I like the, uh, I like the idea of, of a, a Nazi character not, not having anything against Jews. Yeah. If that was explored further, which it's not really in, in the book. Because really, that's what he's doing. It's kind of like, it may sound really bad when you read it out of context, but what he's, what, what he's doing in that scene is he's basically... He's mocking the other guy. Yeah, he's saying, for all you know, I could be Jewish, you know. And like, right, and he's using the most stereotypical things he can to mock, you know, to mock the other guy. Yeah. So we should say that in that scene, he's basically saying to the guy, like, well, I could be Jewish, you know, and you just wouldn't even know. But see, no, but nowhere else in the book does this character uh, portray anything other than being a, a, a secret agent man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and but I did like Baines as, as a as a character in the book, as in the sense of like the kind of a red herring. Well, yeah, I like his position in the plot because, like, he's. Um, you know, he he's basically. I mean, he's not really a red herring. He has a point. Yeah, but he's he adds a, a certain level of mystery to the whole thing. Once we find out he's not actually Swedish, right? Because really, his mission. Which we find out very early. Yeah, I'm not saying I like him. Like he's like a good guy. I'm saying like I like his position in the story, which is, you know, he's there to stop Operation Dandelion, which we'll talk about. He's a, in a little bit. He counterbalances the rest of the Germans. Yeah, kind a little of. bit, a little bit. Yeah, so, it's, it's hard to pin it down, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This. Well, not without getting ahead of ourselves and talking about Operation Dandelion, which mm. you know we're we're gonna we're gonna get to. Um, but uh, you know, some a, a lot of the themes. 
here. And, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about a lot, and let's get into the novel within the novel. And by the way, the other day when I was researching, doing a little bit of Man in the High Castle research. Grasshopper in time? Yeah, the where the grasshopper lies. The novel within the novel, there's some D-bag out there who um, actually went and self-published a version of where um, where the grasshopper lies. And then he's marketing it as an homage to Philip K. Dick's right. book. But it's basically like, so if you search Man in the High Castle, there's you can actually... Um, find that. Find that. Um, well, well, is it the, any Where the grasshopper lies heavy. I'm sorry. Is the, you know. Yeah. So if you look it up on Amazon, it's there. It's like uh, Chandler Duke, I think is the guy's name. And like, uh, personally, Chandler Duke, I, I don't think that's cool. I don't <laughs> think it's cool for somebody to go and publish it. It's like the guy, there's a guy who's on Amazon who is writing horror books under the name Stephen King. Like, but he's spelling it like Stephen, you know, like, right. like just not, spelling it differently. He's just spelling it differently. And like, you know, the Stephen King can't do anything about it, but it's like, well, what about Philip Jose Farmer and Kurt Vonnegut, you know, using the, the, mm-hmm. uh, whatever character that was. Oh, Kilgore Trout. Yeah. Kilgore Trout. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I what think- if this, what if this kid's a good writer and. The book is actually good. You know, um, it could be, but. I mean, that's the, isn't that the real kicker? Is if it's good or not. Yeah. And from, from the Amazon reviews, it doesn't look like it's. <laughs> it's up to snuff. It's very good. <laughs> Anthony, you're making these crazy faces. You want to tell us what's. Uh... There's so many Amazon reviews for this that are like 800 paragraphs long. Really? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, think that's it's, insane. It's probably pretty divisive. Mm, it's and it's not its not done in parody? It's done as homage? Mm, no, I don't believe so. Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with taking an idea a writer has and expanding on it. Look at all that Lovecraft shit we have nowadays. <laughs> right. Well, and but I don't think PKD... Lovecraft was encouraging people to write in his mythos, and I don't think PKD was like... I mean, oh, I think PKD would have been like, you get the fuck out of my sandbox, please? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I worked real hard for this. Yeah, I don't think PKD had the same attitude as Lovecraft. Yeah, I don't think so So either. let's talk about... Let's, let's quit talking about the fake on Amazon... Um, where the grasshopper lies heavy. Let's talk about the one inside the book. Yeah. And, um, so this is really an important part of the book, which is the fact that I think that if you first went into the novel, you're going to assume that where the grasshopper lies heavy is about our world. Yeah. And certainly that's kind of the way the TV show takes it is that, you know, um, we don't care about that right now. Yeah. But in, so in the novel, where the grasshopper lies heavy marks a very different world. Um, it says on page 69 of Man in the High Castle, his theory is that instead of an isolationist like Bricker in the 1940s after Roosevelt, Rexford Tugwell, that's an interesting president, <laughs> would have become president. And he would have, he would have very, been very active in continuing the Roosevelt anti-Nazi policies so Germany would have been afraid to come to Japan's help in 1941. So their history is all different, but it's like 
you know, we ended up with Roosevelt being president all the way through World War II in this right. history. He's not. But one of the things, just like the, the, um, jewelry, um, and the gun, when they had the fake gun, and they had the whole argument over whether this gun was real or this gun was not, is that if you are keen or know anything about history, when you start reading these elements of what happens in The Grasshopper Lies Heavy within the book, is that it is definitely not our history. <laughs> um, it is very different. And um, for that reason, what it makes is it ends up being that The Grasshopper Lies Heavy becomes like this third track, mm-hmm. right? We have our history that we know. There's the history in the man in the high castle where the access wins. And then there's this third tract that is either fictionalized by this guy, but these theories come that, you know, he's writing this history and definitely you're put, you're, you know, but technically written by the Oracle. Yeah. So <laughs> because he didn't, cause this guy, uh, Hawthorne Adelson, who wrote the grasshopper lies heavy. He supposedly didn't plot it out. He just, you know, had the I Ching, uh, e. I Ching, he consulted to it and it, you know, it decided the plot points right. of, of the book. And so therefore it's supposed to become, be coming from some other kind of spiritual awareness, I or, guess. Or, or factual to a different universe. I mean, it's, it's not explained, of course. It's left, it's left up in the air. Right. And, and the whole reason for this, is just to say history, reality, what you know could very easily be bullshit. <laughs> right. And and basically what PKD is doing is he's calling bullshit. He's saying, you can tell me that happened in history, but in the reality is anytime we're learning the history, if you like for example, you go to a history class and you just have like a history professor who decides that he's gonna goof on his students today. And he just decides to start teaching where the grasshopper lies heavy mm-hmm. as if it was fact. I mean, how many students are going to be sitting there and being like raising their hand and being like, uh, wait, Roosevelt died. <laughs> and if the history professor says, yep, <laughs> you know, they've got their professor telling them this. I don't know how much they would believe it, but what, what I think PKD is trying to, to make a point about is, well, look at it. It's also like, uh, ancient aliens. You know, ancient aliens is obviously a bunch of crap, but, uh, whoa, but hot take. I don't know. If, I don't know. Is that a hot take? We're just kidding. That's not a hot take. <laughs> but ancient the, aliens. the idea, the idea of these alternate ideas of how the past occurred are in some ways just as valid as the way they actually occurred. It just depends on how many people know about them and believe in them. And that's what, what PKD is saying is that, you know, history is not, history is as malleable as the future. Right. And so one of the things that you have, like on page 91, there's, there's a lot of talk about the banning of the, uh, of the grasshopper book mm-hmm. and, um, the <laughs> grasshopper in time, um, <laughs> the grasshopper lies heavy and, um, I think Reese, uh, or Rice, whatever his name is, Hugh, the, the uh, the vice, whatever, viceroy of trade mm-hmm. commission or whatever shit his job is. He has it best when he's reading the book and he's like, he's just going off on it. This motherfucker, somebody should kill that dick. <laughs> right. It's probably, 
What is that? What's his name? Ramenstein? It's probably Steen. <laughs> he does say that. Uh, well, what's interesting, too, is on page 91, Joe says that he read it in the toilet and hid it under his pillow because it was banned. But the Japanese don't have as big of a problem with it. It's more just the Nazis, like, have a big problem with it. And I think mm. it's interesting. And I think that has to do with um, PKD's rose-colored vision of the Japanese. Yeah. Because he kind of sees the Nazis as being the ones that are the more fascist and, like... But that's what we've been told in the U.S. as well. Well, that's true. And if you look at the actual facts, there is nothing to say the Japanese were were less fanatical or fascist oh, or pure evil than the Nazis. Um, what happened at Nanking in, in China is everybody's evil is anything the Nazis did. Exactly. And, um, in fact, there's uh, the most gruesome uh, horror movie probably ever made um, – that is really underrated for just how, like, when people talk about Cannibal Holocaust being like the most the, recent. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Jap- there's a, a Chinese movie about Japanese concentration camps called Men Behind the Sun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. It, that movie is almost unwatchable. unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. It is, is truly like one of the few it times. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, um. I hear that there's another podcast that's going to do an episode on that. Oh, on Men Behind the Sun. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But anyway, continue. that'll probably be a good one. Yeah. But Men Behind the Sun is a really good example of just like, I mean, the Chinese, if you watch a lot of Chinese cinema, if you watch a lot of Hong Kong movies, mm-hmm. the Japanese are always the bad guys. They're like, <laughs> right. always the evil. And look, and I'm not. And usually portrayed as huge people. and <laughs> Right. And that's because there is a long memory in China that has to do with the atrocities that happened. Um, during Japanese aggression. Yeah. Um, a good novel about this is J.G. Ballard's Empire of the Sun, which was a, a, um, excellent Steven Spielberg movie starring a young Christian Bale. I highly recommend it, but they, and a decent John Malkovich. Yeah. 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 It's a good movie, but you know, there is a, there's a, uh, a, a classic of, of history, Chinese history called the rape of Nanking. That, mm. that really goes into this. So if you want to read like the actual history of this, like the Japanese were just as fucked up. And that to me, my biggest problem when you guys are talking about the editing and the, the things that you guys had as a problem with Man in the High Castle, mm-hmm. to me, the biggest problem with Man in the High Castle for me, and it wasn't enough to knock a star off or anything like that, but J- Philip K. Dick's hard on for the Japanese is really disturbing <laughs> because he like really does like Japanese culture and he makes it sound like we wouldn't be so bad on the West Coast when I'm right. sorry if the Japanese came over and took over the West Coast in that time in yeah. that time in the way that they were running shit like it would have been horrifying it would have been horrifying what was happening on the West Coast. And, and, and so he makes it seem like the East Coast and Nazi, the right controlled East Coast is like. And just from, from, off, you know, from his own book, he proves his, his, his theory that, you know, history isn't always what happened. Right. Because they, him giving them a break is the same thing as the rest of us giving them a break or there being an entirely different U.S. history. Right. And, um, you know, another interesting thing about where the history is different from, from, uh, the grasshopper, uh, lies heavy is page 133, 
or 131 through one, or 133 of the Mariner edition that talks about the, uh, trial of Adolf Hitler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a really interesting scene too, because, um, he says the trial of Adolf Hitler. How he gets syphilis or whatever. Yeah. The trial he realized of Hitler after the close of the war, Hitler was in the hands of the allies. Good God. Also Grubel's, Goring, all the rest of them at Munich. Ev- uh, evidently Hitler was answering the American prosecutor. It has some quotes, um, and some things about the trial. And I know we're going to get into this with Dr. Rosenfeld in the episode coming up, um, about what was going on with Hitler, because a lot of people believe that Hitler had Parkinson's, um, mm-hmm. like as the war was like kind of grinding to the end, there's a really fantastic movie that takes place all in the bunker of in Hitler's last days. It's called downfall. Yeah, it is mocked online constantly. Yeah, well, what, or not mocked, but used constantly. Yeah, for memes. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Downfall is actually um, a really great movie, and it really shows yeah, like Hit- Hitler towards the end. But um, but there's some really interesting scenes here in this trial of Adolf Hitler uh, depicted in the book. Because it, it gives a chance to kind of see, um, how the grasshopper lies heavy kind of like gives us a chance to see what it might have been like if Hitler had gone on trial. And, um, I think there's, there's a line. It says, um, you know, in this history, more pressure would have been put on the Japs. He said to himself to suppress this damn book because they just, like the idea of Hitler going on trial would have been so uh, in this book would have been so incendiary. Right. And just, just to, to get onto like a fun thing that's in here, (laughs) um, just because we've been talking about all this heavy stuff on page 80, there's like a whole scene where they talk about how the, um, Nazis killed off all the best comedians. (laughs) Right. Because Because they were mostly Jewish. Because at the time, most of the, comedians who only bob hope remains bob yeah and bob hopes um transmitting from um canada Canada. making fun of nazis (laughs) so how did canada hold on to to not get taken over um just by staying out of it just by staying out of it i guess yeah and I, i guess that worked for them and then bob hopes up in canada making jokes about grubles and and um and uh you know, that's, it's interesting. I can see that, um, you're looking up how to pronounce scruples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we listen and see what it says? <laughs> I was looking for the phonetics, so I didn't have to, but I can't spell words. Um, yeah. And so, and some other interesting history on page, some al- interesting alternate history. When some of these conversations between Juliana and Joe, I know really bored the shit out of Anthony. Sure uh, did. Um, but I know Lampy and I both agree that some of these conversations between them are some of the most interesting parts because this is where you parse, where you get like kind of the parsing between the differences in the histories and where they're just, they're kind of breaking down and talking about the grasshopper lies heavy. So I think I would have liked it more if Juliana was a bigger character in the book and we did start where Larry said we should start because these are interesting conversations, but when they're framed by everything else that's going on, it just felt like more stuff I had to push through. 
Well, and there- uh, yeah, there are a lot of sections like that, aren't there? That you, you just feel like you have to slog through those to get to the better stuff. Yeah. Now, so when Juliana and Joe are having these conversations, there's a lot of really important ideas that are thrown out there. Yeah. Um, and like, well, first of all, Joe mentions that the British were super freaking brutal towards the end and that they had in, in this history, he has the British setting up, um, concentration camps in China, which I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah makes any sense at all <laughs> but um but yeah there it is but on page and running one, tanks over people that are hiding in basements and stuff yeah and on page 170 joe really breaks down like how he thinks the politics of this future would work and he gets some things right but he also is is speaking for pkd on some of these um political commentaries where he says like sure the u.s expands economically after winning the war over japan because it's got a huge market in asia that's wrested from the japs but that's not enough they've got that's got no spirituality not that the british have they're both plutocracies ruled by the rich if they had won they'd have they'd have thought about making more money in the upper class absent he's wrong um, there would be no social reform, no public welfare plans. The Anglo-Saxon plutocrats would have, wouldn't have permitted it. So he's basically like like throwing shade on the right wing in the U.S. There, yeah. and so these are really interesting critiques that you know maybe on the first. I mean, it's much more like that nowadays than it was even when Dick was writing this, right? And so these are some like these could like kind of wash over if you're like reading the book really quickly you know and not like slowing down to like highlight things like i don't know we did or i did and so like i noticed these things and then i think these conversations are really interesting and then you know like there's this quote he says these old rotten money run empires britain france and the u.s all um they're they're uh you know, like he just calling them money, old rotten money run empires. It's yeah. just, it's just a really interesting take that this. Well, he, he's saying that the, uh, you know, and when he talks about the working class, how, how work is, is much more respected in actual work is much more respected in the fascist culture than it is in the, uh, capitalist culture. No. You know, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it, it's a tantalizing, you know, I, ideal, but it's not true. Yeah. And so one thing that's, that's, that's really clever and really great writing that PKD is doing here is that he has his character showing his hand as a fascist and is being a Nazi spy by, um, saying, <laughs> saying lines like this. Sorry that Anthony's distracting me. Um, I should not be laughing at that. So he's having this character say this stuff about where he's actually being like kind of, you know, not too far off criticizing the way things have turned out in, in our empire, in our empire, in our world. Wow. <laughs> in our world. Freudian. Yeah. But he's talking about these things, but he's also serving a plot point by like giving Juliana a clue that he, that he's actually a Nazi agent. Right. And his mission is to kill the man in the high castle. Right. Yeah. And he's using Juliana and her hairdo and her dress <laughs> and, and her exotic Mediterranean look. 
Right. To get to get close. So he wants to get her into this book. So he needs her to talk about the book. He needs her to be interested in the book. And he's like, hey, let's let's go meet this man in the high castle. What do you say? But, but well, he, make, he gets it to first. the point where she actually suggests it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just him being a I smart, mean, it, smart spy. He's a brilliant, brilliant spy up until the part where he's like, get your shit together. Put on the dress. Put on the dress. And that's when she judos him and cuts him with a razor blade. And yeah. Not so brilliant. But he's... You know, I, I didn't understand that when I was reading it. I didn't understand why he was in such a hurry. It didn't seem like there was a reason for it. Why couldn't they take another day? Because we had to get to the end of the book. <laughs> well, it that's the unfortunate. PKD is like, fuck truth. I don't have an idea to bridge these two scenes together. I don't know. She kills him. And I, yeah, I didn't pace it well enough. I just need to do it now. Well, I got really into the stuff with the actual titular man in the high castle. I mm-hmm. really like that scene, and then the book's over. Yeah. Which is a little frustrating for me. Well, it's almost a cliffhanger ending, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the next, on page uh, one... And it's Goebbels. It's Goebbels? Yeah. Like gerbils. Goebbels. Okay, so... The scene on page 178 where um, Baines makes it to the Japanese consulate and he basically says, and he um, brings up, you know, like, hey, I'm here to, to warn you or whatever. And then they basically... Great scene. Yeah, and they say, I have a commando squad ready. They look like violinists. Um, so they have this fake violinist squad that's come in and... And try to take him out before he right. spills right. The, spills the beans. Uh, this was a this was great action that yeah. that I think gets glossed over sometimes when people talk about Man in the High Castle because that you know that's not, it's not all the same kind of. It's so uh, much idea. a talkie. Yeah, <laughs> but on page one ninety eight is when we find out like what Baines was there to warn them about, which is Operation Dandelion, which is. You know, the basic purpose of Operation Dandelion is an enormous nuclear attack on the home islands without advance warning of any kind. With the purpose of wiping out... Dick move, Germany. Dick move, Nazis. Without purpose of wiping out the royal family, home defense army, or most of the Imperial Navy civil population, leaving overseas possessions for absorption by the Reich. Because, uh, yeah, it's a dick move, but, you know... and, And I'm, you know, I'm saying, like, They've got a lot of resources put into Mars and Venus and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe, you know, they're stretching themselves a little too thin at this point. Well, not but, if they use nuclear weapons. And so what's interesting is that also PKD has them, like, advancing so far in, like, technology. The fact that he would have them doing, like, colonization of these planets in 1962. Right. You know, and that like that he has like we've just put John Glenn into orbit, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And like Russia's killed a bunch of dogs in space, <laughs> and <laughs> had actually got one or two humans up there, and he has the fucking Nazis like rocketing between Berlin and San Francisco in like ten minutes and conquering Mars, which is. Well, the, uh, you know, Nazi, <laughs> Nazi science, Nazi science was, did move a lot faster, but that, that's highly, uh, highly contested 
idea that, you know, if we, if we throw away our scruples, we can do everything so much faster. Yeah. And then I guess that's the, that's sort of what he's saying is that, you know, yeah, well, if, if you had that Nazi idea of you can do anything you want to anyone you want at any time you want because you don't regard other people as human, then it's, then maybe you could get to those places by that time. Right. It's not likely, but. Right. And maybe because they didn't, you know, we had to steal a bunch of Germans. And plus the power of plastics. (laughs) The power of plastics. That was a big deal back then too. Um, Plastics. We have the future. So to kind of wrap up this story, and we've already talked about the end a little bit, but when she does get to meet the man in the high castle, (laughs) I thought she lived in a fortress. Uh, no, not so much. And then, uh, you know, we find out that, you know, his life and the, the mythology that's based around this character, the man, you know, this guy who wrote this book is, is just as much false as the, the revolver, the different, the different things that, you know, um, that were fake, that were fake and that's, beautiful fakes. Right. And that gets us to like, to me, I understand the ending is a little abrupt with, like, past that, and it should have basically ended with all the scenes with... I think we all agree that it should have ended with the scenes with with um, with meeting the actual man in the high castle or, or the guy that... That is how it ends. Yeah, but isn't there another scene with Juliana where she leaves? Or It's been a couple weeks since I read it, but... Um... No, she just talks about maybe calling her husband. Right. That's it. Yeah, she saves his life. Yeah, but she leaves and goes to call her husband, and he doesn't answer, and it's kind of ambiguous. But they both want to talk to each other. It's it's all kind of up in the air, right? But so, anyways, um, yeah, that's man in the high castle. I, I, you know, well, for me, what about the mysticism there at the end? It's I kind of liked the mysticism. Did you did you like that aspect? Of I it? I didn't mind it. I I liked it. It it <clears throat> I, it just much like with a lot of things in this book. It wasn't there early enough. I feel well. It's kind of there. It's kind of. It's there. not it's as. A, it's not as. It's not mystical though. Poignant. Yeah. It's not as poignant. It's horoscopes and, throughout the whole thing until yeah. at the end, you, you find out it's true. Yeah. True. Question mark. Oh. <laughs> um. And I just feel like there's a lot of ideas here that aren't explored up front, which led to mm, a lot of confusion on my part reading mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's it, understandable. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, look. It, I mean, it writes that line between complex and confusing, like needlessly so. Right. Well, look. Th- th- listen, we're 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 not done talking about Man in the High Castle. We're going to have two um, continual two continuing episodes about it. But I think to wrap up this main episode about the novel. You know, bef- just before we get to the, re- I take it you're going to the end, then, David. Is that what you're saying? Well, we are here at the end, and and <laughs> and, and I think I'm sorry. I thought I was talking about something. Yeah, damn, dude. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Let him. Finish. You didn't. You didn't even say what you thought about the mysticism. Yeah. Well, okay, so you can edit that. <laughs> um, so the thing about the mysticism that goes throughout the book, whether you're talking about the I Ching or you're talking about the the fact that Tagomi uh, moves between universes and we don't know why. Like right. the, the things that happen that 
there is no explanation. This is not a science fiction novel that explains everything. It happens for unknown reasons. And this is something that PKD will return to in novels like Flow My Tears and, and you know, and it's just, it's, it's a theme that we're going to see again. But what it's I think. Frustrating. Do you, do you not find it frustrating? I don't find it frustrating because I understand that that's what he's trying to do as far as like. What is cop out? No, I think that. I think there's so much history in this book that keeps David's uh, history boner wet that he doesn't <laughs> care about the mysticism as much as we do. And that's fine. <laughs> I just felt like it was a major cop out. I really didn't like that simile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's there now. So, right. <laughs> it's in the world. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want it in the world. But anyway, <laughs> so, but so, if, if it had been, if it had been throughout, or, or at least a little more throughout, instead of this, this sort of fake horoscope kind of bullshit, I, I don't mind the, you know, it might have, it might have made more sense, but it turning out that the, the book was written by, by the I Ching is just ridiculous. It's kind of a cop out. It wasn't written by the I Ching, it was, it was inspired by the I Ching. No, 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 no. it was, no, it's, it's like dictated to the man in the high castle by the I Ching, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what the wife says. He, he was at the I Ching for years. Cause the I Ching is just telling him what to write. Mm hmm. The I Ching, he, he's yeah. just the Sutter Kane to the I Ching's Lovecraftian yeah, monsters. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> uh, that was a reference to, to jo John Carpenter's <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness, for those who are not horror nerds. Um, I mean, we both got it, but yeah. Oh, look, I'm okay with a, an ambiguousness in, in a story. I just... Sure. I mean, like, one of my favorite movies is, uh, Aronofsky's The Fountain, and I think a lot of people, like, really... No, I don't, I don't, I don't mind the line, uh, the, the, the woman and the tiger, the lady and the tiger ending. I, uh, this is not that. This is a straight up, well, I guess I gotta end the book somehow. Might as yeah. well be the I Ching right now. I ran out of these methamphetamines, so I better cap this off before I pass out. Hmm. I, I feel like it's, uh, it's another, Want 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 ending. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't. I it didn't. I mean, yeah, it it kind of fizzles a little. No bit. No one but. went to a different colony. <laughs> Where's well, the, the Nazis? Did. Well, they did, but, but you not go at to the, the end of the book. Yeah, it would be interesting to see a science fiction novel written um, that takes place on the <laughs> the uh, Martian Nazi colonies, right? Inside uh, the man in the high castle. Actually, no, don't don't do don't that. Do there that. no do swastika that. night part two. <laughs> swastika. Space swastikas. Swastika so swastikas in space. Yep. Night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always night in space. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, true. <laughs> was, that should be a tagline. Oh, it's huh. it's like it's really past our bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, I it's definitely past your bedtime. The, uh, yeah, some of us have to get up at five in the morning. The, that, that part bothered me more than anything else, but we should give our, our ratings here. Well, before, just one real quickly on that, the things that bothered me that, well, I guess that is part of the ratings. So how many, um, eaching predictions <laughs> out of five do I give 
Man, I guess I'm still going to give it five. Okay. I'm wow. still, still going to give it five um, because even though there are – You know there's nothing higher than five. Yeah, I know. Okay. Because to me there, there are – This is lo- the best it could possibly be. Well, there are flaws. Mommy, Daddy, stop fighting. <laughs> Never. <laughs> there are flaws to me, but I think the strengths of the book outweigh the flaws for me. And, like, is it absolutely 100% perfect? No, but it's close enough that, for me, that, um, I just, I'm gonna give it five out of five. So. Anthony? Oh boy. <laughs> Be honest. From what you understand of the book. <laughs> well, don't talk to me like I'm a simpleton, Larry. From what you, I'm gonna you give understand. it, I'm gonna give it, you want me to go first? No, I'm going to give it three Nazis on the Mars. <laughs> on, the Mar- <laughs> on the Mars. It's 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 getting late. It's getting late. Three Nazis on Mars out of five. Wow. Um, I, this is probably a really great book for someone that's not me. Like David, for example, really enjoyed it. It's not, I don't think it's a bad book. I think it's a highly disorganized book with a lot of really interesting ideas. And I think it PKD did a great job doing something completely different than what we've read so far. Mm-hmm. But aside from some moments, uh, some really great moments, particularly I love the end where she does finally talk to the man in the high castle, which by the way, guys, the book's called fucking the man in the high castle. Why didn't we focus on that enough that there's almost, I thought, I thought we did. No, no, I mean, the book itself oh. doesn't really... Well, that's it's it's a lot like The Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the book. Rye doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, I can't stand that book either. But Wow. Whoa. You, wait, you guys, didn't, you guys don't know how much I can't stand Catcher in the Rye? No. Nether time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to say this is not a bad book, but it wasn't the book for me. But I do like what a lot of things Pikachu was doing. So like three three Mars Nazis out of five. Larry, well, I'm I'm being kind when I say I'm going to give it three, uh, three yarrow sticks or something. Three yarrow sticks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, basically, the you know it, it's like Anthony says, it's all over the place. It's inconsistent and needs a good edit. Uh, the the mystic elements are not only confusing but historically just wrong, and you know. Some kind comparing Confucianism to Taoism is stupid because <laughs> they're <laughs> diametrically opposite. You know, it, yeah. the, the, there's so many, there's so many well written sections in this book. Yes. And there are so many well written characters in this book. And he finally did discover the character arc, which I really loved. <laughs> he finally discovered the character arc. <laughs> and, and I, I liked all those things, but I, I swear this book needed at least two more go-throughs before it, w- it should have been published. I agree with that. I, I think if this had book, if, if this had book, oh boy, it is late. <laughs> I think if this book had been tighter and a little more focused, I would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. But but the constant, me constantly having to remind myself, is this character Japanese? No, it's the fucking racist white guy. <laughs> right. Fuck. <laughs> I, I, I do. That was a really frustrating thing for me, and it made it very difficult for me to enjoy the book. Yeah, and I think that uh, for a lot of people, that can be off-putting. 
is that you, you, you do get confused and it's easy to get confused with that sort of broken English thing being inconsistent. Well, so, you, yeah. know, you know, it is interesting for considering that we're doing a whole podcast devoted to Philip K. Dick, that the book that is considered to be by many his, his absolute masterpiece, which I think that might be stretching it, I feel like. Oh, I think it's stretching it. I, I know <laughs> what I consider his masterpiece. Oh, I know it's stretching it. <laughs> well, it's the three stigmata of Palmer Elders book rules. That well, I don't, okay. I think at I this, at this there's rate, other ones that are really good. Yeah, it, that it, we haven't got that. I actually haven't read yet, so. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think that, I think at this point now we're not really going to be able to declare what his masterpiece is until we finish this whole process. <laughs> right. 2021. Yeah, but I, you know, for me, from the ones that I've read, um, maybe Vallis, maybe Ubik, you know. Maybe a Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Th- these, these are ones that. A lot of good books. Yeah. Are, are probably better than Man in the High Castle. I think Man in the High Castle because of the TV show, because of the, just like Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep gets a lot more attention than it probably deserves because it was made in. Because that's actually about sheep. <laughs> yeah but literally the book is about sheep right and and so <laughs> but i think the thing about man in the high castle is that for me the turning point and what it means for pkd's career and just some of the, again you're falling right into the book you know it's a historically it has his Historicomnomy, or whatever they say in the in historicity, historicity. Historic, yeah, it's got historicity. Yeah, and, and that may be true, but I think it's not the it's not the object itself; it's how you view the object. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm now put on this fucking dress and do your <laughs> but here's the thing: I am judging the book based on the experience that I'm having reading it, and the experience that I'm having reading it. It may, there may be flaws like the way that the Japanese are kind of rosy, you know, the rosy depiction of the Japanese. Mm-hmm. There's the, the fact that the Japanese would use the I Ching and there's some things that I find to be ridiculous. Um, and there's definitely flaws in, in some of the construction of it and the ending is kind of a, <laughs> but, um, but, but other than that, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Other than this laundry list, I'm going to throw over my shoulder. No, but those are those are those are things. But at the same time, if I start listing off the things that I really do like, if you want me to, I'm not probably going to go to. But the it, the the way that history is manipulated in the story, the way things are just slightly off from from our world, and at times when Tagomi travels back and forth. The character development between and the character interactions between Juliana and Joe. You talk about all these, um, you know, ways that it incorporates history, false history, the analogy of the jewelry and 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 the revolver is great. Yeah, parallels. It's you know storytelling to me is always parallels and reversals, and this story has lots of parallels and reversals, and they work in a way that. We haven't seen PKD put together a novel, except for maybe Time Out of Joint, Eye in the Sky. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the, 
this is really him putting those pieces together. And for that reason, I am basing my rating on my experience of reading it. And yes, there are problems, but overall I had a five star experience because, um, you know, my experience in reading it, like, really stimulated my brain. It really got me going, and I really enjoy the process of reading this. Really one. got your juices flowing. I believe I pointed this out already. Right. <laughs> <laughs> David. Really, <laughs> really got your juicy history boner you going. You really got that history boner wet. <laughs> I walked right into that. You did. Oh, boy, you did. <laughs> On that note. Yeah, yeah, let's wrap it up, boys. So we got uh, two more episodes coming up. But this eventually. is the final, like, regular This will be episode. the last one you see or hear or whatever we do here at the thing. So we will we'll break down the TV show versus the novel uh, when we come back. So, um, yeah. See you sometime in February. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little while. So stay, if you get stay bored. Stay paranoid till then. Yeah. Be paranoid. Be paranoid. Bye. No one's going to say it accurately. Stay paranoid. Okay. Keep it paranoid. (laughs) 